Podcasting, the remarkably crowded frontier. These are the conversations of two brothers and their mom. Their 13-episode mission to explore strange old movies, to seek out new bits and new jokes, to boldly go where no mom has gone before. Welcome to another episode of Where No Mom Has Gone Before. I'm Captain Casey Ryan. With me, as always, my commander, Colin Colin Ryan. Ryan. Oh, sure, you can introduce yourself. And, oh, Admiral on the Bridge. Admiral on the Bridge. uh, We have our mother, Laura Ryan. Hello, everyone. Yes, here we are with a uh, much better movie than we reviewed last month. Yep. Dare I say, one of the best. Yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of interesting things to talk about with this one. So, something to put in the back of everybody's mind. I forgot to send a subspace message today, but uh, let's rank the original movies, and then when we get to the end of the Next Generation movies, we'll add those into our list. So. Ooh, that's a good idea. But you still haven't said the title of the movie we're, uh, we're doing. Which it's is the future. The Undiscovered Country. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Do we need to say the Star Trek VI part? If you're listening to this, you know it's a Star Trek movie podcast. If somehow you've stumbled onto this episode, <laughs> congratulations. No, but I want, I want to get the six in there. This is All the numbers go away after this. Uh, un, uh, officially, yeah. Unofficially, if you like, look them up on even on Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, it's Paramount still, Plus like the next list. one will say Star Trek Seven uh, Generations. But I miss Roman numeral, numerals and titles. I know even Star Wars got rid of having it officially be Episode Whatever. It, yeah. Like it's just Star Wars: The Last Jedi. I cannot remember the last movie with a Roman numeral in the title. They've even stopped putting it at the end of end of the credits. They don't put it. it used to be oh Roman yeah, yeah. It's just, all the time. Now it's just regular numbers. Now it's just yeah. Um. Oh my. Numbers we can all read. Well, can we all? Not necessarily. Not if we're Romans. Do. <laughs> boo, hiss, hiss, boo. Arab- I didn't say boo. Arab- Arabic numerals. I, I was saying boo urns. <laughs> Arabic numerals are different? Mm-hmm. No, no. what we use are Arabic numerals. Oh, okay. What should I yeah. say? We sure do. This movie's wild. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this movie. There's a lot that I like, but there's one thing that we loved in 2, the other one directed by Nicholas Myers, that really kind of graded me the wrong way in this one. Yeah, it's, um, I think, that the thing that Meyer is an outsider coming to track, uh, mm-hmm. it, it works differently this time. And what did you think, Mom? Overall. I liked it. Yeah, oh, no, yeah, I, I liked it. I had no, I had no problems. It's I, a well-made film. I don't even film. know what you're talking about. So, <laughs> well, it's an ex- it just goes right over my head. We'll get to it. I think. And I think we can mention it right now, just to get it out of the way. The campaign ribbons. No one else wears them. Why are? Oh, that was not. That wasn't what I was thinking of. The campaign ribbons. Who's wearing campaign All, uh, ribbons? Brock Peters and everyone at Starfleet Command. In what scene? In every scene, they're the only Starfleet officers wearing them. Well, he, you know, that's part and parcel with with Meyer really leaning into the militarization, uh, you know, and using phrases like the C and C and things like that, you know, and having fire extinguishers everywhere on a lot the of, Enterprise. A lot of fire extinguishers, yeah. <laughs> um, but he, 
I, you know, I just don't notice those things. But it's but in terms weird. of plot, I mean, you get the. You, I feel like the plot in some ways hinges on the concept of Starfleet being a, at least to some of the top brass in Starfleet, being a military organization. Sure. And I think that that's at odds with the way it's been portrayed in a lot of other parts of Star Trek. It works for this story. But I think when we get to some of our questions at the end, this is actually one of the films, and I love this film so much. I, I still like it quite a bit, but this is a, you know, one of my favorites. And re-watching it, some things hit differently. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I think some of my, the questions that we came up with about is it a good movie versus is it good Trek, I think... There are ways that this film succeeds as a movie that makes it fall down a little as Trek for me. Oh, yeah? Yeah, but let's, you know, save that for uh, when we get to it. Yeah. Do we want to uh, talk a little bit about how this film was made? Yes. They bought cameras, and they pointed them at people. Well, to be fair, they probably didn't buy them. Paramount already had (laughs) them. Uh, No, a lot of this set, though, is... Uh, Enterprise D. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most clearly, the warp drive is very clearly the D warp drive. Well, and the room where they have dinner is the... Is the ready room, yeah. Is the, well, no, the uh, the conference room. Yeah, it's got a different name. They call it something else, but yeah, I know. I know. Did you know that part of it was shot in a Presbyterian church? I did not. What part was cut? Well, Presbyterian? I oh, oh I, I know exactly what part was. The Kittimer uh, Accord. That's got to be a church. No. Oh. I don't think so. The production suffered a lack of available set space because of shortages. The Star Trek headquarters set was actually built a few blocks away from Paramount Pinchers at the Hollywood Presbyterian Church. That's wild. Of all the stuff in the movie, I would have thought it would have been the Peace Conference because it's already like in pew rows and you've got a pulpit. Mm, that's true. That's crazy. And it was shot in Super 35 instead of the anamorphic format. But interestingly, the um, it's framed differently between the uh, director's cut, which I believe we all watched, and the original cut. Which I also watched the scenes that were different, and yes. Yeah, it's... There's very different shots. The frame out uh, is... He, he changed it. Yeah. They said the farmers... Uh, the. 35 has uh, greater flexibility in framing and lens selection, larger depth of field and faster lenses. Sure. Yeah. I mean, specifically one scene, which is the last scene that is really grossly different in the movie. I like the framing that Nicholas Meyer uses for the director's cut, but then there's a certain point where it gets in real tight on two people. And I'm like... I like that better. It wrap, ramps up that tension real good. Uh, I will say, though, this this film looks great. Oh, my God. It's probably just honestly pound for pound the best looking one we've had since the motion picture. Even Khan, Meyer just hadn't, it was only his second film. I don't think he'd, he'd gotten as creative with the camera as he does in a lot of scenes in this. Uh, there's a scene we'll talk, I guess we'll talk about when we get to later, but where he, it's a, a steady cam shot as bouncing from person to person around the bridge. Yes, as they're as they're unraveling the mystery and bouncing ideas, and it really looks so great. Um, and he's just yeah, he's got a lot more creative use of camera. And then the costumes are great in this. I was just gonna say I'm gonna miss these, but we get them for a hot second in generations. Yeah, but, but I mean, man, these era 
uniforms are without a doubt my second favorite uniform. But I'm, I mean, the Klingons look great. Oh yeah. Um, you know, the civilian garb even looks good. Uh, does it look silly and dated? Yeah. Now I wonder, does, does it not look silly and dated because we've actually reached the 1990s now? No, I was on the lookout for it. I felt everything felt alien. The only costuming thing I had a problem with, like I said before, campaign ribbons, especially since Brock Peters is playing the same character he played in Four, correct? Yes, Admiral Cartwright. Yeah. But he's not wearing them then. When did he decide to start slapping on his campaign ribbons? I mean, it's it's a it's a Meyer. It's well, maybe he's had some campaigns. <laughs> That's a it's, lot of campaigns. <laughs> no, it's definitely a Meyer thing to emphasize the militarism. You know, it's why we got those red uniforms. But it's you know, he said it going into two, and and really came back on it. He it, he's interested in making a you know submarine picture the um you know they reworked the, the corridors to make them darker and tighter kirk's um stateroom yep. and, which is i mean it's so much smaller it's yeah it's much smaller uh there's that and also most of the um corridors were just redressed uh just the enterprise d corridors the excelsior bridge is the enterprise d bridge it's Oh, yeah. I thought the Excelsior Bridge was the Enterprise A Bridge, and they had to shoot all of... That's why they never... No, no I think they, they used... I thought I read I think that. They, I think they used the D Bridge to make it look bigger. Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of three when they use the same... Oh, yeah. Well, and, and two in two, the two bridges on the two ships are the same set. Yep. This is the one time where it's two different sets. Yeah. There's Yeah, they reused a lot of it. Because at this time... Boy, this came out right after uh, Spock was on... Next generation, so yeah, unification. yeah, unification part one, yeah. Well, there's that, and there's also the fact that you did you read that um, they went to go get the Enterprise A sets and <laughs> classic Paramount. They had been left out in the sun and were ruined, so they had to rebuild the entire all the sets over again, and that's why we get actual screens for all the displays, not just like gels. Oh, interesting. Showing stuff on the yeah. bridge. Uh, I also want to point out uh, clock continuity is fantastic in this movie. The balls on Nicholas Meyer <laughs> to have three separate running clocks on the bridge. I don't know if they're done in post. I, I feel like they might need to be because there's only one time that I was like, hmm. You mean and that's the trial of done di- Kirk. Digitally in post? Yeah. I'm sure like, every ounce of the digital budget for this. This was 1991. Every ounce of the digital budget for this is in Floating purple Klingon blood. Oof. La- lavender. Lavender. Yeah. Now, mom, did you did you find <laughs> it? Any- doesn't matter because it's never going to be that color again. But you, you know why it was? <laughs> did mom? Did you figure out, find out why it was that color? They wanted to go with green, but then he remembered that Bones had called Spock a green blooded, mm-hmm. and they couldn't go with red for fear of getting an R rating. Yeah, oh, would have gotten an R rating. Yeah. Hands down. So they went with lavender, yeah. and it was interesting because they. They looked at space shots of water floating in zero gravity, and that's how they did it. Bring your mic a little closer. That's how they did it. There you go. That's so much better. So uh, so who who found any interesting stories about the the lead-up, the production, the pre-production of this? That's really the only thing that I had, that they went to go get the sets, and they were just left out in the the weather of California. Some of them were missing. Yeah, parts were missing. I, oh, I'm sure people had pilfered it. They had surprisingly disappeared. I seen the same thing that said that the space station, the docking station, had disappeared. Oh, space dock. The docking station. They <laughs> yeah. also did not have a Enterprise A. 
uh, all the shots of the Enterprise A, but for one, was reshoots, and they needed a side shot when Sulu is looking at the Enterprise and it's going sideways. They didn't have one of those, so they just bought an off the shelf model of the Enterprise A and <laughs> used that. Well, wait, wait. So they did, wait, they didn't have a model for any model shots for this. How did they do they, some of the, those shots where, where things are going straight through the saucer section? Maybe it's that they'd already done all that and they realized they needed the side uh, shot. And they right. were like, oh, crap, we've just – because from this point on, <laughs> the Enterprises in these movies takes serious, sometimes career-ending damage. This is the beginning of let's beat the crap out of the Enterprise. I found it fascinating what they had to go through. What from the original story, which was going to do back to um, the Academy years, uh-huh. and then bring it forward, mm-hmm. and they said it was going to toss cost too much money. I mean, they were going to go to Spock's upbringing and Kirk's upbringing, and it's like, well, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that movie. That movie happens later. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was so. That was <laughs> no. that was Harv Bennett's idea, and I think it was a lot of it came from wanting to get less expensive actors. Apparently there was mm-hmm. apparently uh, there was another version, another script floating around. Walter Kenning had done where the Romulans were going to join the Federation to go to war with the Klingons, and everybody but Spock and McCoy mm-hmm. were going to die. Yeah, that's right. right. That I remember reading that. Things that the monsters and aliens of all, the old crew must rescue them. In the end, all of the characters except McCoy and Spock die. They said that Drones was going to be drunk at a convention. Talk in, hang on, hang on, be, hang on. Talk. Sulu, I'm looking at you. Yeah, you don't need to look at us. <laughs> Sulu was going to be driving a cab. Wow. Oh. That's a choice. Listen, well, Walter, you wrote a script. Good for you, but... Well, it feels like there was a bit of a free-for-all in the fallout of uh, of Five doing so poorly that, that right. everybody had an idea for where to take the franchise. And, and I think in, in everybody was sort of thinking this must be the last one for them, but they didn't want to go out on the sort of sour note that was Final Frontier. I'm just wondering when, like, did they start to production knowing that this was going to be the last one, or like halfway through? Because they were ramping up to do Next Generation movies. They were thinking about them, at least at this point. Yeah, well, Nimoy had suggested doing a Kirk meets Picard movie. Hey! But they would have had to basically, they would have had to take Next Generation off the air. They didn't want to do that. They knew they had a few more years out of it. And so... That's, I think, when when Nick Meyer gets brought in. And the way I heard him tell it was um, that he heard him tell it. He didn't tell me. Uh, wait, uh, I, I read it in, in, in I was looking in his uh, memoirs. And he said that he and Nimoy went, like, went for a walk on the beach in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, Nimoy's from Boston. And it was, you know, end of the Cold War. And he said, you know, we always did these really of the moment Cold War allegories on the original series, and we ha- kind of haven't done it in the movies. What if the wall mm-hmm. comes down in space? And that's what we get in this movie. We also kind of, in a super messed up way, get an allegory for Chernobyl. Oh, it's definitely Chernobyl. <laughs> <laughs> it's so messed up. It's only been like, what, five years? Yeah, we start with an intergalactic Chernobyl. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's definitely Chernobyl. But how long has it had it been since Chernobyl? Chernobyl was 80, mom, 87, 86. I don't know. I think it's 86 and this is 91. Sure. Five years. Well, I mean, but. Bad taste. I mean, Chernobyl did not as directly lead to the fall of the Soviet Union as, as 
Praxis does to this Klingon crisis, but it's definitely a contributing factor. Yeah. And as we know... 86. 86. April 26th, 86. Yeah, Yeah, right. Um, As we know from watching Next Gen, the Klingon Empire is going to make it out just fine. Mm Mm-hmm. They're not great, but... Well, in some ways, they're setting up the, um, you know, this world where they're friends, which dates all the way back to, if I recall, the first appearance of the Klingons in Day of the Dove, season one of, you know, where the the Organians predict that one day the Federation and Klingons will be friends. And they're they're paying off something that goes all the way back there in a way. Okay. I didn't know that. Again, I'm not that verse on TOS. Yeah. Going back to who, how Meyer got chosen, mm-hmm. it says that Nimoy's... Did you know that he wrote, having produced the Wrath of Khan screenplay in 12 days? Yeah, I did. We, I think we talked about that with, with Wrath of Khan. It was a, um, it was a, it had to do with the, the timing. They'd already announced when the, the movie was coming out, basically. Yep, exactly. And it said, but here, but if Meyer was to direct, it would have... Offset any acrimony from Stratner, whose ire would have been aroused if Nimoy returned to direct his third Star Trek feature after Search and Voyage. It says his wife was the first person to suggest that he should direct. Huh. Yeah, that makes sense. It make the to to circumvent having to give another one to Shatner, yeah. (laughs) I do have a almost but then cast. Mm, Okay. So originally, Valeris was going to be Savick. Yes. <laughs> which Roddenberry was adamant against. I'll table that conversation for a second. And did not want Savick to betray Spock, which I thought would have just been so much better. So Robin Curtis wasn't available. She was popular with the uh, with people. She was popular yeah, with the fans. Yeah, that's why I think it would have been such a gut punch if she had been... Yeah. yeah. Um, but... Robin Curtis wasn't available. She was doing something else, and, or should I say, friend of the pod, <laughs> Robin Curtis wasn't available. Uh, and Kirstie Alley, I mean, she was deep in cheers at this point, right? They, they talked to her, apparently, but she wasn't interested in coming back. So they went to um, Nicholas Meyer's first choice for Savick in Search for Spock, Kim Cattrall. Oh, I don't think I knew that Kim Cattrall had been considered for Savick originally. She she auditioned for it, yeah. When they offered it to her, she did the thing that a lot of Star Trek uh, people who turned down Star Trek roles do, the I want to focus on my movie career. Mm-hmm. Um, though I guess that wouldn't work with this one. Maybe it was something else. She was, oh, you know what? I think she was like making Mannequin 2 or something. So she said no. Then they came to her this time, like, hey, you want to play Savick? This time, and she said, I do not want to play a character that's been played by two other people. Yeah. I, I'm yep. right there with her. That's that's a big yep. hurdle to overcome. So they went back, they workshopped it, they reworked it, made a new character, and she said yes. But do you know how she got her name? She came up with it. Yeah. Well, but, well I don't so, know. No, no, mom, 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 tell the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I knew she came up with it, but I don't know the, the origin of it. It says, Cottrell chose the heiress element of the character's name for the Greek goddess of strife, which was vulcanized by the addition of V-A-L at the behest of Nicholas Meyer. Yeah. Yo, so that's, he hits name yeah, that's rad. If it had just been Eris, and if anybody oh. who'd ever taken oh. high school uh, Latin would have been. <laughs> like, wait a damn minute. <laughs> Here's something I found interesting. During filming, Cottrell 
participated in a photo shoot on the empty Enterprise bridge where she wore nothing but her Vulcan ears. Nimoy personally ripped up several of the photographs when he learned about the unauthorized photo session because he feared harm to the franchise if it ever came to light. So, much like the candid camera story from Star Trek IV, this has been refuted by both Kim Cattrall and Leonard Nimoy. That really? It, it never happened. I've never heard it before. Oh. Now, they both could be no. going, no, it never happened, right? It mm-hmm. never happened. We all agree. I figured she was getting ready for her sex in the city yeah. robe. <laughs> yeah, that would, what, what, that would only be six years later, 97, was <laughs> first yeah. season of Sex in the City? Yeah. Something like that? But it doesn't matter now because apparently she's dead in the reboot. Oh, I hadn't heard that. She, she doesn't. She's not in it. it. No, I'd heard that. She's not I'd in it. I heard that, she but I didn't know she. She doesn't want to be. In I knew it. that. I just didn't know that the character had been. Well, one interesting thing, though, that was that during filming was when the uh, was the attempted coup to overthrow Gorbachev. Do you remember? Oh wow! During filming that happened. It was, dur- it was during the filming, so that was it was like summer of '91 when that happened. Which is where Gorkhan gets his half of his name, Gorbachev and Lincoln. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, I mean, he's definitely he's totally space Gorbachev, right? And space. And oh, one hundred percent. When he's not space Lincoln, though, uh, you know, I noticed for the first time his beard is Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I don't know who that is. <laughs> right. Mom, mom, the yes, beard, it's that Solzhenitsyn's beard. It um, is, uh, yes, d- d- yeah, Dissident Ru- Russian writer, most famous for the Gulag Archipelago. I'll take your word for it. Mm. Long. <laughs> that warped right not, over my head. Not as, not as long as a stay in Siberia. Um. <laughs> True. <laughs> One last production thing, and then I, I think we can get into the movie, but we've covered that they used cameras already. Yes, we did. And they w- didn't actually shoot in space. Wasn't Takei's uh, stipulation for coming back was that he had to not be part of the Enterprise crew? He had been pushing for, for Sulu to have a command, which was apparently supposed to be part of early drafts of two, was that he would be off on his own, have his own command. Uh, so that had been something he definitely wanted for a long time, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's no secret Takei and Shatner do not get along. It was the first time his first name was mentioned, also. Hikaru, yeah. It had been used in tie-in stuff, but this is the first time it... Uh, Vonda McIntyre's yeah. novel, The Entropy Effect. So the only one who doesn't get out of doesn't get out of all of them with an official first name is Uhura. Not until not until, Kelvin Universe. Not until the Kelvin Universe, yeah. Which is, are they taking that as canon for both universes? I mean, I wouldn't... That was the most common. That was her name in most Thai and stuff, Nyota. Uh, but it, oh, I don't, okay. I, that, yeah, they didn't come up with that there. Okay. I can't see then, why. Yes, it, can't see why it would be different. But we'll get to how the point of departure there makes no sense anyway soon. <laughs> okay. I don't know if this goes here or someplace else. That uh, she was uncomfortable with some of the dialogue's racial undertones. Yes, she was supposed to say, "Guess who's coming to dinner?" Guess who's coming and to dinner? She was like, right? "I'm absolutely not saying that." So they had it be Chekhov instead. She was also supposed to say yes, but would you like your daughter to marry a Klingon? Uh-huh. And Oof. she said, "No, thank you." Yeah. She refused to say the line. And then it was dropped from the film altogether. Mm-hmm. Which is definitely for the best. Um, yep. 
Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a that's icky. Well, yeah, we'll we'll get into this. I think as we as we talk through it. But I, one thing that struck me is you know is the difference between ideological or political prejudice. I don't like communists versus racial prejudice, and cannot think of another period in Star Trek where, at least before this, where there was a a, a racial prejudice against Klingons as opposed to they are our political and ideological enemies. And it's just different. Some of this had been covered in Next Gen. Like, the way the Klingons are perceived in Next Gen has a racial undertone to it. I guess. Uh, so I'm wondering if they're borrowing from that, which seems weird because, well, I, no, because it's 100 years in the past. See, so. I feel like Next Gen was more like it's a very different culture, but nobody ever suggests things like some of them can't talk or they have a smell. Yeah, it's not that bad. But I'm thinking mainly when everyone's having those fantasies and Worf sees the Klingon female and Jordy's like, is that your idea of sex? I'm like, hey, hey, hey. Well, Do not kink shame that man. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? Speaking of Klingons, we should mention that one of the big guest stars here uh, was someone that actually Meyer says he was thinking of while writing. So the only time he says he's ever written for an actor with an actor in mind, and he John Shuck, yeah, right. And he wasn't sure what he would do if he didn't get Christopher Plummer, but he got Christopher mm. Plummer. He had he had been listening to a CD of Plummer doing lines from Henry V with the score from Olivier's Henry, the Walton score from Olivier's Henry V. Like with a live, I know, I'm going to track this CD down now. And he was just like, I want to, writing for that, you know? And so, which may explain why there are, uh, you know. So many uh, Shakespeare lines. Did anybody keep count? Uh, it's like 18 or something, yeah. isn't it? It's a from, double digits. From Chang, it's 11. Oh, but I'm talking in, in in the whole movie. Oh, no, there's tons. All There's even more. Yeah, but Chang particularly, it's 11 direct quotes from Shakespeare. <laughs> Only one in Klingon. <laughs> yes, true. Did you know that Plummer and Shatner had performed together in Montreal? Yep, apparently they're good bu- yep. they were good buddies. Yeah. Didn't we talk this this story that Shatner had understudied him in Henry V at um, Stratford? I don't think on mic, but... Oh, uh, did yeah, that, we, we, oh, we didn't. That didn't make it in. No, I don't think. Oh well, I don't remember. I don't it remember us. Discussed. I don't know that the two of you. The story. Did, the story. Well, I'll, I'll tell it now, and we can keep it or cut it. But it was that? No, um, we'll keep it. Was that Plummer told Meyer? I guess that that he knew Shatner would be a star when he went on for him. You know, and it was like some for some reason he couldn't go on, but he was able to watch. Maybe he had like injured his foot or something. I don't know. But um, uh-huh. he went on for him in the role of Henry V. And he's like, he did everything totally differently than me. And I was like, he's going to be a star. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? There is one last thing involving Chang. So, as we know, most Klingons either have, you know, luxurious locks or, you know, bad 80s hair. I'm looking at you. Claw. Um, who's in this movie? Yeah, he is in this movie. <laughs> it's so great. I don't think as Claw, but, you know. No, it's supposed to be Claw. It's supposed to be like oh. he got demoted for doing what he did. Oh, that's great. In five. I'm like, oh, okay. So there is punishment beyond death in the uh, Klingon Empire. That's nice. Um, But all of their wigs were put on after a bald cap with the ridges. And when they were putting that on Christopher Plummer, the story goes that he just went, stop. (laughs) And went and found Nicholas Meyer and went, 
what about this? And Nicholas went, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it is, it's a great look, right? <laughs> He's the only bald Klingon until we get to Discovery, which you didn't watch season one, but all the Klingons are bald because we're still at war with the Klingons, retconning the hell out of things. But when Klingons are at war, they shave their heads. Oh, I never got to the part where they explained that. Which makes sense for Chang, he constantly calls Kirk a warrior. He thinks that it's not a cold war. He thinks it's as, a war war and they're going to fight as any second. go, it, it works pretty well f- with Chang, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a lot of legwork to explain why there's a bald Klingon. Did anybody find any explanation of the greatest eye patch in movie history? <laughs> no. It's I, didn't, just I did not see one reference to it. Bolted to his skull. I mean, <laughs> so, but you just, it is so over the top, right? It is so right. over the top, but, it's but, so it, clean. but it tells you every, exactly. And it tells, tells you everything you need to know about this guy. Is there any reason behind him having an eye patch? Besides that it looks badass? They definitely like the one-eyed Klingons in this because you, you, the uh, warden at Ruapente is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A real that guy. Actor. Oh, yeah. Who I, uh, he's he's done a, a, a ton, ton. A ton of track, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I believe he's a, he's an he's been a Starfleet admiral at one point. He is. Um, there's no real reason why they put an eye patch on him besides that. Not that I know of. I think great. it's just uh, okay. You know, if anybody out there knows, yes. yeah, go ahead and let us know by uh, adding us at Where No Mom Pod on Twitter. Yes. All right. Okay. With that, let's uh, let's get into this wonderful, wonderful movie. Who's reading the uh, Who's reading the synopsis? Mm, that's uh, mom. Before you start, I love the music. Yes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I love the music because you're like, remember the fun we had with four? Because a lot of people ignore five as a actual movie in this <laughs> franchise. But remember, four was all lighthearted and silly, and they're saving whales. Not this one. This one's going to be dark, it, and it's going to make it's you It's such a different opening with that that really moody Cliff Eidelman score. Um, lots of... So reminds good. me Who was 26 wow. at the time he Whoa. did this. 26. Good for him. Though I will say he owe a little, a, a rather large debt to Gustav Holst for parts of that score. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yes, but he had also had been doing com- compositions for ballets. I could see that. Yeah. Television and film ballets, and he, and he gets picked to do this film. That's uh, amazing. Not that, what a jump! And not that there's anything wrong well, with being Meyer, Meyer is an opera wow. fan, so it doesn't surprise me that much that he might have come across somebody who was doing contemporary uh, concert music. Yeah. Yep. All right, mom, go ahead. In 2293, a shockwave strikes the starship USS Excelsior, commanded by Captain Hikuru Sulu, who discovers that Praxis, a Klingon moon, has been destroyed. This effect of Praxis blowing up the shockwave Mm -hmm. is called, in the special effects world, the Praxis effect. Oh, yeah. It is used six years later for the destruction of Alderaan in A New Hope in the Special Edition. It is the exact same effect. 
I do remember that that when they with the redone Alderaan explosion, I remember seeing it and going, "That looked just like the explosion of Praxis." <laughs> and then they use it for the Death Star in uh, yeah. six, and I'm like, "Well, no, wait, now hang on." <laughs> it yeah. made sense with real planets, not with giant fake moon bases. Yeah. Well, I never could understand why she didn't just dive. Because again, <laughs> Star Trek seems to forget that space is three dimensional. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, they don't have a ton of time to maneuver, but yeah. But just make it a quick dialogue, like dive. It's too. It's too wide. Well, <laughs> but but here's the other thing: why is it going out in in a flat radius? Too. <laughs> yeah, why isn't it going this way? There, may, like there may be everyone for that, but I don't know. No, there's not because when we get the shot of Praxis in a second, it's like an ice cream cone is left of Praxis. There's yeah. There ain't a whole lot left. Okay. The loss of Praxis and the destruction of the Klingon homeworld's ozone layer throws the Klingon Empire into turmoil. The Klingons can no longer afford war with the United Federation of Planets, so they pursue peace. Starfleet sends the USS Enterprise A to meet with the Klingon Chancellor Gorkin and escort him to the negotiations on Earth. Captain James T. Kirk whose son David was murdered by Klingons, opposes the consolation and resents the assignment. One thing, Brock Peters, in the scene in the boardroom yes, with the mm-hmm. president of Earth. Um, and, oh, no, you mean with the commander-in-chief of Starfleet. The COC. Or do no, you mean the later scene with the with the president? With Kurtwood Smith. Okay, yeah. Or maybe it is in the scene with the CIC where he's talking about... Klingons would become the alien trash of the galaxy. He hated saying that stuff. It was very difficult for him yeah. to say. As yeah. a man of color, yeah. yeah. Well, as a man of color, mm-hmm. as as the man who played Tom Robinson in To Kill a Mockingbird, as, uh, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly, himself a very active um, civil rights activist. You know. Yeah, it was... He, he really... Really hated saying that stuff. Well, and these are the parts that that really strike me as like the racialized prejudice as opposed to an ideological one or political one um, is it feels like the metaphor is slightly off and it might be off for the sake of putting in this really powerful language. And then you we get this the 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 question we keep asking, right? Like is the is Star Trek at its best when it shows us who we are? Or when it shows us who we can be. And this was really yeah. about trying to sh- mostly show us who we are. You know, mm-hmm. to, sh- to turn a real mirror on on racial and racial prejudice and distrust of, of political enemies and things like that. And I, I'm more sympathetic than I used to be to the argument that it go in the in the interest of, of telling that story it stretches some of these characters further away yep. from where they should be. 100%. Well, um, they said that Peters found it repugnant. That was the word they used. Yep, that he used so was repugnant. repugnant yep. That he could not do it in one take. To his credit, he sells it great. He sells the yeah. crap out of it. And, but. and I get it. I get the power of putting it in a black man's mouth and showing that prejudice that the oppressed can become the oppressor with enough time. But boy, it, that was, you know, for 1991, it, it's tough. We volunteered. One thing here in this boardroom where it's just Spock and Kirk at the end. There is an historic opportunity here. Don't believe them. Don't trust them. And Spock says, they are dying. 
them time. What's cut out of the movie out of both cuts is Spock's reaction, and then it cuts back to Kirk, and he puts a hand up like, okay, I didn't mean that. Yeah. And you can catch the tail end of it when it cuts back to him. But Shatner was so mad at Myers that that got cut out because he didn't think Kirk would have gone that far and not been like, well, okay, I didn't mean that. Yeah, I mean, that scene is so well done. Frame, framing them, they've never been further apart, right? They're at the end of those long tables. Uh-huh. You know, Mom, you just read, you know, resents, opposes conciliation and resents the assignment. I mean, I think the thing he really resents is that he was volunteered. With that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a reasonable yeah. resentment. And I kind of agree that Kirk being a superior officer to... He's not. They're both. They're both captains. They're both, sorry, I missed that. I, I keep thinking of. Yep. I keep thinking of Kirk as an admiral, but he got demoted. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for saying that. There is someone's ranking in this that is odd. Valeris looks like she has lieutenant commander insignia, so they should call her commander, but they call her lieutenant mm, the entire movie. I looked it up, and it looks like it is the lieutenant commander, the, not a pip, but the oh, the marking yeah. for lieutenant commander, and it's just kind of like. Come on, she earned that. <laughs> Mom, I remember when the Berlin Wall came down. You mm-hmm. trying to impress mm-hmm. on us the significance. And I think we were we were still both a little too young to really get the longer historical perspective. How much did watching this movie sort of take you back to a, that time, which you, I think, still probably have a different perspective on than us, about in the end of the Cold War? Well, I can see it. I can see it how it... it, it comes from this movie but when i when i first watched it until i read all this i watch it to enjoy the movie and then i go through and read all the information i thought oh yeah Yeah. oh oh, yeah i see that i see that and yeah it did yeah it really did and i remember sitting with you and telling you what it was like Mm. that you just had no idea the significance of this yeah do you feel like you were taught to hate russians i was never taught to hate anyone i don't I don't necessarily. I could yeah. feel. I, I could. I could feel from my from the way my parents treated being born in the South, the way they treated sure. other people, and I still. I just never could understand why. But I just sort of. You yeah. know, they were my parents, and I just ignored it. I, I guess I didn't mean by your parents so much as just by the society you grew up in, by school. Talk a little bit about what it was like to grow up in the Cold War. And not not just grow up at the tail end of it like we did. I don't think hate was, was yeah. what it was. I think it was more distrust. Okay. We didn't trust them, and I I I, I, I didn't I sure. didn't trust anything they said, but I didn't hate them. I mean, they were they were you know I just I just distrusted them yeah. a lot. I think that's sort of where the racialized prejudice didn't work as well for me on a rewatch. You know, is that it wasn't about distrust. It became about, you know, a, a personal hatred toward Klingons. And, you know, this is where, you know, these sort of things, when when you take countries and turn them into actual different species, it can the metaphors can fall apart, right? I really only got the feeling that Kirk was the one at the beginning that hated. Mm-hmm. Even when I found out who else was involved in it. I never felt they did it for hate. I think they were doing it to protect the Federation because they didn't trust the Klingons. Yeah, but there's some... I mean, Scotty says some pretty bad things. I mean, he calls um, Gorkin's daughter a Klingon bitch. Yeah. 
when that came up, I went, whoa, yeah. Scotty. It's, it's a tough, that's a tough line. It's, oh, but we should mention in the role of Gorkin. The wonderful David Warner. Yeah. Um, who has been in, a t- you know, was in the last, literally, I, I think, think of nothing more Star Trek than to bring back a guy from the last movie, put bumps on his forehead, and be like, here's a whole new guy. <laughs> And the producers of Deep Space Nine went, get me Jeffrey Combs' number. Yeah. You'll understand that when you get farther. There's literally an episode of Star Trek where Jeffrey Combs plays three aliens in one episode. It's bonkers. He plays a Ferengi. In Star Trek? In Deep Space Nine. And, of course, Warner would come back and do a wonderful two-parter as Gul Madred. That's going to be my recommendation at the end. If you're going to do... You want to get the David Warner trifecta, especially while we're talking about it. He had two days prep. Most of his lines were in front of him because the original actor that was supposed to play uh, the Cardassian. Yeah, it was. uh, Something happened. I can't remember what, but I was like, it just makes that performance so much more powerful. Like, wait a minute. You were kind of cold reading this. Holy crap. I offer a toast. The undiscovered country. The future. The undiscovered country. Hamlet, Act 3, Scene 1. Enterprise and Gorkin's battlecruiser rendezvous and continue towards Earth with the two command crews sharing a tense meal aboard Enterprise. Oh, tense meal is... Which was really, really tough to film. Yeah. Because of the blue food. <laughs> Talk about the blue food. Well, they just didn't like looking at it, and the poor guy who had to eat it, it was not happy because it had been sitting under the lights for a while. Yeah, it had gone rancid, yeah. from what it I understand. It was disgusting. Well, think about it. It was disgusting. What Name a blue food. Name a naturally occurring blue food. Blueberries is the only one I know. They're purple. They're purple at best. They're not that color blue. Why are they blue. called blueberries, then why aren't they called Because purple, purple hadn't been invented when... <laughs> no, no, I mean... But, <laughs> No, but really, they're, they're not that color blue. That's as close as you get. It's really this blue food. Is it? It's just not a color. You got your blue corn, you got your blueberries, and then you've got like artificial things like what blue raspberry. Right. So it's like blue chips. They're, they're, people blue have chips. written. Well, well, that's blue from blue corn, right? Yeah. But people have written about that, like there is an aversion to blue because it is such a rarely occurring color in nature. Who was it? It was oh um, Hitchcock. Hitchcock used to have dinner parties and do all and and dye all the food blue. What a weirdo! <laughs> and to watch his oh yeah, the man was bizarre. Um, but yeah, he and watch his uh, guests just squirm. Sure, was that supposed to be Gach? I don't think it's supposed to be Gach because it wasn't moving. Oh but, yes, no. Well, you can't have anything but fresh Gach. Yeah, it was. It, it was you know eel-like, and if yeah. you notice, none of the Enterprise crew eats a bite of it. <laughs> yeah. But but what do we, I mean, oh, that, that, the Klingons not using silverware, and, I don't know, it, it was just, I was just like, you know, not every culture on Earth finds using, eating with your hands to be rude. Right. And the fact that all of these people found it to be rude in the 23rd century, again, it was that, like, shouldn't we be past that? You can also, I don't know, kind of excuse it, because it's not so much that he's using his hands. He is shoveling 
his food in, which <laughs> also, again, in certain cultures, to not yeah. shovel your food in is considered rude. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's dr- dr- <laughs> it's hanging down from his mouth. So gross. Yeah. So gross. It's just one of those moments where you're keenly aware that for all of the United Federation of Planets, it's really just they're all Americans. Well, in space, she, you know, uh, and Canadians. I cannot think of the character's name, but Gorkin's daughter says it perfectly. If you could only hear yourselves, human rights. Why, the very name is racist. You're not wrong. Well, here's where the quotes get going, right? So we've got we've got our quote from Hamlet. Now, did, Mom, did you did you see anything about this? About uh, who? Want, first of all, who wants to take a stab at saying to be or not to not be a Klingon? <laughs> well, oh wait, it's <laughs> it's the name of the like Zencaster episode. So, ta pa da be. There we go. Now, but in case anyone was wondering, yes, Colin and I are gigantic nerds. <laughs> <laughs> so, did did anybody find out about about the to be or not to be in Klingon? Mm-mm. Oh, it's a great story here. So, Mark Okrent created the Klingon language for three. Right, he's a linguist, and he decided, almost on a whim, that there would be no verb to be in Klingon. Row too passive for the warrior race. And lo and behold, three movies later, oh, I need to be or not to be in in Klingon. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What's the Klingon word for oh, crap? (laughs) (laughs) So, anybody want to take a guess at what a literal translation of is? I've got it here in my notes, but I can't find it. All right, let's hear it. I can't find find it. Go ahead and go. It is in what is probably what Hamlet is saying. But, you know, you have to always say probably because it's Hamlet. <laughs> it's to live or not to live. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, uh, I did read that someplace in here. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, also a crazy story is that all of Hamlet has since been translated into Klingon. Sure has. Subsequent to this film. <laughs> uh, and I once did a production of Hamlet, which featured Klingon. Oh and you boy. thought you were nerds. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, it, it, it came because there was an actor cast in it who was Japanese and spoke Japanese. He, he was a terrific actor, but he spoke Japanese a lot more confidently than he spoke English. Okay. So he had plenty of lines in English, but they also had him speak some lines in Japanese. And from there, a little bit of French, a little bit of German, and somebody jokingly said... Well, you know, they translated it into Klingon, and there it was. It was Klingon. No. Um, and that person went, oh, I didn't mean it for real. I don't remember who it was who spoke. It might have been, for no good reason, Osric, but I can't remember. Oh, boy. Yeah. We all followed the other the other great quote moment. I think I've always thought that's a great moment when he, uh, when he says, We need breathing room. Earth, Hitler, 1938. Yeah. And everyone in the room, you can just... Even Spock raised his eyebrow, I believe. <laughs> well, it's a well-constructed bit of dialogue, that whole scene, where it's just, as it's very pained attempts to be polite, fall apart, bit by bit by bit. But Kirk just does the nuclear option at this point by saying that. Yeah, but Kirk's had about two two glasses of Romulan ale at this point. I mean, when we revisit Kirk in his quarters, he is in one of the worst places a person can be, which is sobering up without having gone to sleep. Oh man! Like he, like That's transitioning to hungover early in the morning. Worst like feeling just, in the world. 
Yeah, yeah. And had, that's clearly where he's at, right? Right, because dinner is at 830 or 730, 1900, 1930, 1930, 1930, 1930, 1930, 1930, 1930, 1930, Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, one more thing. Let's give some ship love to Kronos One. I love the weathered look. You don't get weathered ships at this point in Star Trek. That's more of a Star Wars thing. This is the first ship that looks like it's seen some battle and done some things. I, I really, I, really dug it. I also think, am I wrong that this is the film? I think this is the film that establishes Kronos uh, or Kronos as the uh, as the name of the Klingon homeworld. It's called Kronos One, but they never say it's named for that. I think it's just a retcon because it still hadn't been called it on TNG. I don't think at this point. I th- There's an episode, I think, Heart of Glory, the first Klingon episode in in Next Generation, where somebody refers to the homeworld as Kling, which is. It's <laughs> rough. Oh. Um, no, they don't say Kronos here. here. They, I don't believe so. I don't believe. And no. I don't believe it is called Kronos until. May, uh, I mean, um, maybe, maybe like later in, in Next Generation. Well, what Gauron had been Emperor of the Klingon homeworld by this point, right? Duras had yeah, happened yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had that whole. That's like season um, three. I do have written down about three times here. Fire extinguisher. <laughs> he got all those fire extinguishers in there. He never got his no smoking signs, but he got his mu- fire extinguisher. And they come in handy when the Enterprise is under attack at the end. <laughs> you, you see, yeah, right? And I feel like that was shot as like a because you know that was uh, a big contention with somebody <laughs> to have those there. Like some producers, like we don't need these. And he shot a scene of someone putting out the fire. Like, see, they needed them. We should talk before we move on from the dinners party about a scene that happens before it, which I love, which is uh, Valeris and Spock in Spock's quarters. Mm-hmm. Great scene. I love that. I you I but I reference in trying to explain the concept of diligently pursuing something only to reach the beginning of the journey. The idea of logic is the beginning of wisdom, Valeris. Not the end. Such a great framing of it. I love that he keeps a Chagall in his quarters. <laughs> I do not understand this representation. Uh, I like whatever tea that he is making, in case I forget later, because we're talking about Spock's quarters here. He smells it. It's obviously very pleasing to both their noses. Did you notice at the end of the movie when Kirk comes to visit him after everything's gone down, Kirk smells it and he's, his reaction is one of only, oh my God, is this cat piss? What am I smelling? I'm gonna. I'm just going to go ahead and guess it's like Pu'er or Lapsang Souchong or something really, <laughs> he, really smoky right. and intense. Whatever yeah. it was, Kirk did not like it. Well, it was um, a groovy glass he sure served it in. Yeah, I thought would, that was would cool. drink out of that glass. Ten out of ten. Yeah. Get on it, Paramount <laughs> Licensing Department. If we can have Chateau Picard wine, we should be able to drink it out of Spock's glass from <laughs> Undiscovered Country. There you go. See what you can do about that, Colin. So, yeah. What, well, wrong company. Wrong company. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's that scene where Valeris is with the crewmen, the two crewmen oh, who yeah. uh, later reveals the assassins, and she says, You men have work. Yes, yes ma'am. ma'am. 
then snap to it. One thing I think Meyer is strong at is the mystery plot here, right? Mm -hmm. Which makes sense. He's written four Sherlock Holmes novels. Um, He's clearly into mysteries. Uh, Is that you can go back and watch that scene. If you know who they are and you know where she fits into things, the work that she's telling them to do is to get ready to go assassinate Gorka. Right. But first time through, it looks like she's rebuking them for... They all look alike. ...talking racist on the job. Right. There's actually the attack that happens in a second when the Enterprise fires the first... Both shot... Well, quote-unquote, the Enterprise. If you watch, and it's a sweeping shot by her, she punches something into her ops computer and then hits the photon fire. So she's resetting the computer that they fired two shots. Oh, I didn't, I don't, I've never caught that. Yeah, it's a, it, I caught it this time. I was like, hang on, that red button is the button that's pushed later. Ha ha. <laughs> gotcha. And in fact, the, the one scene that is uh, only in the director's cut really hits home that Valeris is not who she says she is. Uh, yeah. Or it doesn't have the intention that she says she does. What's happened? We have fired on the Chancellor's ship. Later that night, Enterprise appears to fire torpedoes at the Klingon ship, disabling its artificial gravity. During the confusion, two men wearing Starfleet spaceships, spaceships, okay, beam aboard the Klingon ship, kill two Klingon crew, and grievously wound Gorkin before escaping. Kirk surrenders to avoid armed conflict and beams aboard the Klingon ship with Dr. McCoy to save Gorkin's life. Uh-oh. That, uh, the Chancellor dies. Well, the, uh, dies die, on die. a table surrounded by very worried people, just like every painting you've ever seen of Lincoln dying. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Gorkin's chief of staff, General Chang, arrests and tries Kirk and McCoy for his assassination. The pair are found guilty in the trial and sentenced to life in prison on the frozen planetoid Rua Pente. Gorkin's daughter, is it Azabur? Azabur. Azabur. Becomes the new chancellor and continues diplomatic negotiations. For the, sale, for the sake of security, the conference is relocated and the new location is kept secret. Okay. Hang also, on. Let's stop there. There's a bunch of stuff there. Um, We all caught the not-so-subtle Spock putting the tracker on Kirk. See, go for it, Mom. I did, but I didn't know what it was. The first time I saw it, I go, why did he put his hand on his shoulder? Like that, yeah. And then as it went on. I think it's so well handled. I think a lesser movie and a lesser director would have put an insert shot of his hand there or an insert shot of it as it, it trusts. And it's also interesting because and it's one of those things I, I would love to hear a director whose whose career spans this gap really talk about it. So if you're making uh, Wrath of Khan for 1982, you don't have mm-hmm. an expectation that this film will be rewatched within a year on home video. When you are making a movie in 1991, you do have an expectation that this film will be rewatched by people, uh, you know, relatively soon thereafter. So you might put something in there saying... It's for the second time you see it. Yep. There's a bunch of it's for the second time. The first time I saw it, it was so unlike Spock because he doesn't normally touch her. It is unlike him to touch him. Yeah. But but I think you could really just, you know, it's so quickly done. I guess what it is, is even if you see it and go, what was that? You will forget about it by the time, you know, Mm -hmm. if you have that little insert shot of it. 
you, you're, you're going to go, what was that thing? You know, it's, it's declining to Chekhov's gun, the thing, you know, and decline, <laughs> which I'm not sure I've, has ever been used as a verb before, but I'm going to go ahead and verbify the, the you know, it's, it's not saying to the audience, follow this, think about this. It's just, it's very, I like it. It's very subtle. And continuity wise, it's there. Every like oh. when they're coming up into the pit, it, it's mm-hmm. it's on his uniform. It. So good for continuity. Well, it would be embarrassing if you made three clocks run right and then forgot about that. That's true. Yeah, but That's why very didn't true. the Klingons notice it? They don't care. They're they're they just want to send him to Repente. <laughs> and as we've established, a lot of them are missing at least one <laughs> and, eye, and, so. and, and the judge is missing a whole damn hand. Is he missing a hand? I feel like that's... I thought... I feel like his hand is in that thing. Either way, holy crap. That's terrifying. Call your first witness. Are we talking about the trial scene? Uh, Yeah, because my next next note is about post-trial, so... You deny being demoted for these charges! Don't wait for the translation! Answer me now! Well, yeah, I mean, Mom, you you got that that reference, I assume, right? It's Adelaide Stevenson, who has got to be... Pretty happy to be quoted here next to Shakespeare quite so much. Yeah. So during the Cuban Missile Crisis, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, Ally Stevenson's questioning Zorin, the Russian ambassador, I think, and you know, it's asking, "Do you, Ambassador Zorin, deny that the USSR has placed and is placing medium and intermediate range missiles and sites in Cuba? Yes or no? Don't wait for the translation. Yes or no? I don't ever. I don't ever remember seeing that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what it's a it's a direct quote of that. Um, you know, Mr. So, Plummer does it a little more uh, dramatic in this. Nobody ever said Adelaide Stevenson's skills were dramatic in being dramatic. That was not his. <laughs> that was not his shtick. I, be, I believe that that was when the word egghead became popular. Wow. Yeah. It's it's a it's a great. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the trial scene is fantastic, and, right? And we also cannot leave the trial scene without mentioning... Captain Kirk has not been identified as the assassin. Worf's grandfather, Worf, played by <laughs> Michael Dorn. Well, Worf is in that scene a lot, right? Uh-huh. You know why? Because it was Michael Dorn? No, no, I mean Worf is in that scene a lot because... M- some of the much further up the big well of trial Klingons are actually off the shelf wharf dolls that have been repainted. Stop it. They're also stop they're it also, right now. What? No, no, no. They're also they're, they're also people that are up there wearing wharf masks. <laughs> yep, they're wearing wharf yeah. masks. Yeah, the first row had they, they had their real makeup. And then after that, and that's why it was so dark. Because they couldn't. It, it they, works. It works yeah, for the oh, it scene. Does. It makes it, it creepy as hell. It def- definitely does. Oh. Yeah. oh, it's shot beautifully. So, yeah, starting with yep. going down the well, hearing them. It's great. It's it's utterly. Talk about like immersing us in a culture where, you know, it's it just a totally different legal system and thing. And yeah, oh God, I love It's one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, they had to go out and buy those dolls too. They didn't have them laying around. No. Also, yeah. this set piece is so iconic that uh, I don't know if you got to this part in it, but in Enterprise, they reuse this exact thing when 
uh, Archer and Trip are put on trial wow. and sent to Repente. And I'm like, are they going to meet a hot shape shifting alien? Are we just doing Undiscovered Country at this point? Well, yeah. Re- replay the hits, right? Oof. I mean, that, that, we'll talk about the replay the hits issue. We'll get there. Yeah, I know. We'll get uh, there. Where was Repente filmed? All of the stuff with DeForest Kelly and William Shatner was the soundstage. All the second, right, right, all right. the second unit stuff. Was uh, I believe Alaska? It was in Alaska, and they had they had a lot of stuff that had melted, so they had pro- trouble filming it. But when they were doing the scene with the snow, mm-hmm. they had wind, the fans blowing all the snow around, and they said the crew they had to they had to change the film off the set because they didn't want the snow stuff to get on the film, and the crew yep. was digging snow out of their socks and underwear for weeks afterwards. <laughs> it was just <laughs> everywhere. It was Jeez, everywhere. No, it was thank everywhere. you. <laughs> I, some of those helicopter shots later after the escape when they established them walking around. I mean, first of all, it's just unlike anything we've seen in any of these movies before. Even the the Yosemite exteriors on Earth in Five, they just they weren't flying helicopter shots to get go- these gorgeous expanses. You yeah, know? we skipped over the the major deleted scene that's in the director's cut where they're trying to figure out how to uh, prove their innocence. It is as I said, Mister. Buck inventory registers every torpedo. Yet the data banks insist we fired. One computer is lying. A computer doesn't lie. Precisely, Mr. Scott. Therefore, we must inspect each torpedo visually. That could take hours. Nevertheless. And if they're all there. Then someone forged an entry in the databanks. And firemen pull down Valeris. I'm like, Gorkhan's daughter has been named Chancellor. Now we're getting a little little heavy-handed with who the bad guy is. <laughs> well, this is this is where, I mean, we might as well talk about it now. Like, there is an element of, oh, the only member of the bridge crew who isn't from the original series was the bad guy what a surprise yeah. you know which might not have been there if it had if they'd managed to make it savic but um oh i we also have to note that uh, when spock quotes an ancestor of his it's sherlock holmes <laughs> yeah <laughs> is that why he wore the deerstalker hat <laughs> to hide his pointy ears <laughs> Yes. Mom, you caught that? I did. When he says, An ancestor of mine maintained that if you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. It's from, that's, it's from Sherlock that's Holmes. Holmes. I didn't realize that. I haven't read yeah. him extensively. So Meyer definitely has. Meyer loves Holmes and has, has written four pretty, well, oh boy. One, at least two Stone Cold classic modern day Holmes books, and two that are pretty good. So, yeah, this is the point where Scotty. I bet that Klingon bitch killed her father. They don't place the same value on life as we do, Spock. Take my word, she did not shed one bloody tear. Hardly conclusive, Mr. Scott, since Klingons have no tear ducts. Yeah, which I'm pretty sure is probably disproven at some point by Michael Doran crying in some scene or other, but no? No, Worf has never cried. No Klingon has ever cried. Once this is said in this movie, they they had enough that they could, they, they've never gone back That's- on that canon. Well, that's unusual. That's unusual. They usually, uh, those are the kind of things like pink blood that they sometimes describe. <laughs> I know. And you, you, you think that Doran would be like, come on, come on. I want to cry in a scene. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Anyway, later when he, oh, we won't spoil parts of Deep Space Nine for mom. Yeah, you, bet, you get it better get moving because there's a really, if you know what happens in uh, Deep Space Nine, there's a really heartless moment in um, Insurrection that happens. I'm like, whoa, guys. 
You have to know what have happened. Yeah, but you got to remember, yeah. we got the Yankees going now, so that's what I usually do at night. Oh, for crying out loud. Did- you know there's baseball in Deep Space Nine, right? I do. Lots yes, of baseball. I, do. I, I have oh, heard that. Take me out. Take me out to the oh, what's the episode called? Where they play Take baseball. Me Out to the Holodeck. Oh my god. Sweet. Say, oh yeah. Yes. But oh my god, it is a delightful episode. Okay. Go ahead, Mom. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Oh wait, wait, so, wait. Don't go. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, oh. Last thing. <laughs> so they're they're sent to Rurapente, and then there's this meeting with the president of Earth. Who's was cool looking. And with Brock He's Peters. really a cool looking dude. And yeah, he is a, I wrote down his race because it's never actually said in anything. I just love that he's, while you're looking it up, I just want to say, I like that he, that he's not human. Afrosian. Afrosian, excuse me. He's an Afrosian, which they just made up. The only other one we've ever seen is in Star Trek Four. He's working in Starfleet Command. So, yeah, I just kind of like that they, that there's a non-human president. You, you caught where the president's... Uh, where the president's office is, Paris. Because that's where Meyer wanted to film Voyage Home. And they said, no, you can't. Because he had just... Oh, uh, I didn't he, know that, yeah. Yeah. He wanted, he well, wanted, he didn't want to do San Francisco again because he made time out of, out of after time. Time after time. With David Warner. <laughs> David Warner. Um, I mean, I, I don't think... I assume that wasn't shot in Paris. They just have a shot of the Eiffel oh, Tower. Oh, sure. Sure, it's it's a matte painting or a a backdrop. They come in with this plan to uh, rescue Bones and Kirk. It's on blueprints. It's the 24th century, almost the 25th. What are we doing? No, it's almost the 24th. It's the 23rd. It's 2396. That's the 24th. That can't. No, it's 2293. Oh, it's 2293. Excuse me. I thought it was 2396. What did I read? Very first line of the of the wiki. In 2293. 22, why did I get 2396? Okay, either, regardless, we're still using paper. Well, yeah, well, you have to use paper, so there's something for all the fire extinguishers to put out when it catches on fire. <laughs> like, this is very simple, Casey. I don't see where the problem <laughs> here is. No, that is straight up Nick Meyer being like, it'll be on paper. Because we'll still be using paper then. Meanwhile, like, it's 1991. Like, we still won't be using paper in 15 years. In a later part, part of the film was one of the things that Nichelle Nichols objected to, which we haven't gotten to. Yet. Okay. Hmm. We will. So, in the trial, Chang's interpreter is Claw. Oh, yeah. If you listen to the voice, it's the same voice. And the, the, the story goes that because of what he did in five, he's bumped down to being an interpreter. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, while, self, while several senior Starfleet fleet officers want to rescue Kirk and McCoy, the Federation president refuses to risk full-scale war even if the Federation stands a good chance of re- winning. Edzibur, likewise, refuses to invade Federation space. And the Romulan ambassador is there for no Kirk and McCoy. Jeez, yeah. 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 No, I know, but why? Oh, yeah, he's why there. would you have the Romulan ambassador in the room while you're, de- you know, to go, you know. But, but, but d- well, yeah. getting ahead to the end. <laughs> no, but I mean, but why would the, why would he... Yeah. I, like, him like being people, there when like, the Klingon ambassador, yay, John Shock, bringing it as always. Um, uh, where, <laughs> why having him there for that discussion is like makes sense, but then having him there when they're when they're pitching the plan for invading the Klingons is a little like, wouldn't you just 
ask your other enemy to leave the room, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe they're hoping he'll join them. Yeah, maybe. Not realizing. Kirk and McCoy arrive at Rura Penta Mines and are befriended by a shapeshifter named Martia, who offers them an escape route. In reality, it is a ruse to make their arranged deaths appear accidental. But first, Kirk has so, to fight two really tall dudes. And kick yes. one in the knees, which wasn't the knees. Not everybody keeps their genitals in the same place, Captain. And kiss Marta. I mean, we had to have some kissing in this. What is it with you, anyway? Delivered beautifully by uh, DeForest Kelly. Who doesn't quite get enough to do in this movie, but he's great there. And he's great in the trial scene. But what he yeah. does is gold. Yeah. Uh, he's Nothing in this movie is bad from him. The genitals in the knee. And they were exposed. That's I mean, the part that seemed a little there. odd. <laughs> and they were exposed. What does the creature do after it gets kicked? It falls to its knees. So therefore, it is just slammed onto its genitals. Yeah, that's But maybe there's only one knee. Maybe there, it was only on one knee. Because I only remember the pink. Both knees went down, though. I, I paid attention. It was not someone going down on one knee. Only you. Both knees. That, only you. Would do yeah, it's that. a little... Yeah. I wrote down the note, apparently they're hunting ghosts. What the hell? What? what? I don't know. I don't know. So they escape. Mm-hmm. And Kirk and Marta start fighting, and then it's Kirk versus Kirk, which Nicholas Meyer was afraid to shoot. I can't believe I kissed you. Must have been your lifelong ambition. He was afraid Shatner was going to be upset by that, but apparently that was one of Shatner's favorite moments from this movie, it, is saying that. It does show he's, he's a little hammy there. <laughs> I know. He's like, wee! We all know how the warden figured out which one was Marta, right? Oh, He didn't care. He didn't care. Oh, yes, he, he did. He didn't care. No, he, he knew. He 100% Why? knew because he says no witnesses. And then, because he, he's not going to vaporize Kirk and Bones, he has to leave their bodies. <gasps> he's vaporizing right. Marta for no witnesses. He knows because when Marta points, she points like this because she's shorter. And she's not used to pointing straight across when she becomes Kirk. Uh Mm -hmm. Most subtle, amazing piece of acting. I have to go back and see that. I gotta gotta watch this film again. Either Nicholas Meyer told Shatner to do, or Shatner figured out on his own. But I went, wait a minute, holy crap, he... Went like this when he was Marty. We, we, li- we really like him on in this, right? She's good. Oh, yeah. I thought she was very good. She's I love her good, yellow yeah. eyes. My, my memory of it is this sort of stunt casting because she's not like done a ton of acting. You know, she's primarily a model, but boy, she's, she's really quite good. Mm-hmm. She's good for what she has to do in the movie. Yeah. She's, you know, they're not asking her to be, you know, F. Murray Abraham or anything. She's, Save it. When Finn originally developed the character, he had in mind a space pirate which he described as the dark side of Han Solo. Mm. No, thank you. Finn imagined an actress like Sigourney Reaver in the role. Oh, wait a minute. Now you was as different as night and day from him on. And we almost got I mean, Sigourney Weaver. Right. <laughs> I don't think they ever were close to getting Sigourney Weaver. The screenwriter was thinking <laughs> that's That's fair. Weaver. That's fair. But I guess they said Meyer described Marta as, quote, Kirk's dream woman, unquote. And when the makeup artist learned Imam was cast for the role, they decided to enhance her graceful bird-like appearance with feathers and yellow contact lenses. Completed I don't think of Imam having bird-like features. She's gorgeous, but nah, she doesn't strike me as a bird. And the bird hair 
I don't get. <laughs> I see. I like the feather in the hair because it's just, it's like we were talking about with the rocket boots. I like when there's weirdness that isn't yeah, that's true. And also, where she doesn't go, I am a feather person from the feather planet, you know, or anything. Like that. Well, also, that's not her. That's not the shapeshifter uh, either. Stop me if I'm wrong, but do we have any way of knowing whether this is the real you? I thought I would assume a pleasing shape. For all we know, she could be a changeling. Yeah. She doesn't go gold, though, so. Uh, changelings yeah. are what Odo is. Um, Deep Space Nine. Well, yeah, but this 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 was the first time they used that type of um, transformation. That was a whole new thing that well, they had done. Well, another movie used it a couple yeah. months earlier. Yeah, Turn but not, two. not to the extent that... Beat them to it. But this one, they did a lot better from what... Mm-hmm. It's a very smooth yeah. transition from Iman to uh, William Shatner. Yeah. They, it was they, good they, they, from Iman to the little girl, too. Yep. I thought that was The CGI, cool. you know, doesn't stand out as glaringly diff- bad, probably because it's used so sparingly. Sure. They were very wary to overuse something so new, I think. Now, <laughs> sometimes they rely on it a little too much. Yeah, right. Uh, well, we covered this. Once her betrayal is revealed, Marta transfers into Kirk's double and fights him, uh-huh. but is killed by prison guards to silence any witnesses. I read someplace that Kirk really enjoyed fighting with himself. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> you know, and they and they did some very careful stuff when they were face to face. They had to make sure they were the same height, and they the it was very complicated. Well, let's see. Kirk and McCoy are beamed aboard Enterprise by Captain Spock, just as he was going to find out who was. <laughs> I love Kirk's grumbling as he gets. Hell, of all the son of a! Couldn't you have waited two seconds, Captain? He was just about to explain the whole thing. You want to go back? Absolutely not. And then Chatner does go. Like, that's where humor works really well in this very rather serious movie. That's a fun little triplet mm-hmm. of comedy there. Okay. Who had consumed command and undertaken an investigation in Kirk's absence. Mm-hmm. Determining that Enterprise did not fire the torpedoes and that the assassins are still on board, the crew has begun a search for them, which is very haphazard. Lift that up, lift that up. I mean, they didn't <laughs> oh, really sure, fire yeah. a phaser and uh, just almost destroy yes, delicious right, mashed right, potatoes. Right, right. I mean, right there. <laughs> put, put vo- no, they just destroyed the pot. The put, mashed potatoes are still there. But with those the mashed potatoes are going to fall down. Put Valeris in the break for that. I mean, do was not that arm. mashed potatoes? Yes. I don't think those were mashed potatoes. What do you think they were? I, th- it, I, th- I thought it was bread dough. It had a whisk in it. No, it was mashed potatoes. Do you know this is the first time that they've ever had a galley? Mm-hmm. Yep, and the galley scene. Yeah, they've never they never had it before. There was some fan backlash. Who you know, people who thought everything should be coming from a food replicator, and they bounce back and forth. More so, I mean, all the rest of the series except for Deep Space Nine, it is replicator, replicator. But on Voyager, they have a galley again because they can't okay. use replicators all the time. It'll uh, deplete the dilithium. Oh. But they, they didn't, never mind. I was going to talk about mining it, but that's okay. They can't mine it. They're in the, uh, they're in the Delta Quadrant. They don't know where there's dilithium. That's the whole thing with Voyager. Well, wait a minute, but what are they mining in this mine that they've been sent to? Voyager's a whole other thing. Voyager's they're, the TV get, show. No, I mean... Here, yes, okay, they're 100% mining oh, dilithium. Uh, they're mining dilithium. Oh, that's what, okay, okay. Oh, let's see. The two assassins are found dead, killed by yet another unknown accomplice. Bum, bum, I also bum. like when she found the boot. Stuck it up on the wall, mm-hmm. and they interviewed the guy. And Spock's pointing down to look at his feet. <laughs> and then who, who puts their he- head in their hands? Is it it's Chekhov that's doing it? Remember. Somebody goes like this when yeah. it comes back. And did we did we all the crewman's name? 
Yes, but it's not. It's not a trail. Yeah, it's Dax. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like but it can't yeah. be because because right. Curzon is at this point serving as the Sarex aide. That's right. Curzon begins their career as a aide to Sarek. Yes, he does. Okay. Uh, oh, when they... Debate... So, I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead, yes. Mom. No. Debate the third accomplice... Kirk and Spock announce to the ship that the assassins are still alive and will be interrogated. So my question there, when they make the announcement, why do those two mess hall, uh, the people setting up the silverware in the mess hall, look at each other like, ruh we're in trouble. It's the weirdest shot in the movie. No, it, they were in a poker game with Burke and Sam No, and they're like, Burke and Sam No were bad guys? They owe me money. <laughs> That's that's all that's all that is. They owe me five bars of gold pressed latinum. When the culprit arrives in sick bay to finish them off, Kirk and Spock discover that the killer is Spock's protege, Valeris. Now, mom, did you did you remember that Valeris was the traitor in your first watch through? This time, first watch yeah. through. Yeah. Had you remembered um, from having seen the movie I, I way think, back I when? I think I, it was you know it was in the back of my mind. I didn't oh, say, okay. oh yeah, this is stupid because I know who's. I'm just is. interested in how the. I don't remember figuring it out the first time. I remember us all seeing this together. I remember us all genuinely being like, what? Starfleet can be bad? Because this is the beginning of the... And then we find out a lot of Starfleet is bad. Yeah. And I, an easy fix to a lot of this... Though, had they been... Had Section 31 been introduced by this point? No, 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 no. There's no Section 31 until Deep Space Nine. Really? It's never mentioned in uh, TNG? Uh, it, it, so it's just uh, Bashir. <laughs> it, it's just Ronald Moore <laughs> wanting, wanting to oh. wanting to do cloak and dagger stuff. Yeah. Oh, Ronald Moore, you curmudgeonly old man, you! Oh no, no, you are logical. You have to shoot. So we discover okay. it's Valeris. Okay, to discover the identity of the other conspirators. Spock initiates a forced mind meld and learns that a cabal of Federation. Klingon and Romulan officers conspired to sabotage the peace talks. That's why the Romulans there. Yeah. Okay. No, I know. I know why he's there. Story reason. I just don't know why the Federation president would have him in the room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So we need to talk about this scene. So let's start with. I love the director's cut of this scene until the mind meld, because in the director's cut. It's these big, beautiful, wide shots of the bridge. You can see everybody. It really creates that uh, distance and tension between Valeris and the rest of the crew. It very purposely, everyone's up on the upper part of the bridge. Valeris is down here. And I just, I love the picture that it's painting. But in the theatrical, when Spock starts the force mind meld, which we can, you know, that's assault. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Uh, It then becomes a super almost an extreme close-up of the two of them. It's like this much of them is framed in it, and it really makes you uneasy with it. I'm like, ah, can we, can we mix intimate. these together? And also yeah, it's in very intimate. the theatrical, it doesn't have the shots of Brock Peters and the... Yeah, which, I, I went back and saw that because I don't, I don't love those. those insert shots. <laughs> it's there because somebody was worried that the the, the audience would remember names well, wouldn't of, it have of been Cartwright and Nicholas Chang. Myers? It's his. Yeah, I guess it's his cut. Uh, yeah, probably. So yeah, this scene is. Uh, this is this is I think a breaking point for me where I, I just think the ease with which this is agreed to by Spock and the fact that it happens. I mean, it, it really does play like 
rape. Oh, 100%. It is, it is rape. It's mined, but it's still rape. It's still an, yeah. a he, violation he it, against he's her. He's the one that initiated it. He wasn't told to do it. He's the one that initiated it. No, no, no. Kirk says, Spock. And then he walks over and does it. Which means they had talked about it before. I missed that. I wonder. Yeah, they, yeah. they yeah. must have when they were talking about it, the plan. But just, I don't know. It just feels, it always felt weird. It always, it's obvious that it's being shot to echo torture and or sexual assault. <sighs> yeah. And and just now, 30 years later, watching it, it's, uh, yeah, it's it, it's too much. It's too much for for the ostensible hero to do and then never have the film reckon with the fact that our hero did something so wrong. To be treated as an end, sorry, as a mean who has been fully justified by the end. And I just don't feel that it is. Oh, I'm 100% with you. Like, the most we get is the next scene with Spock. He's, like, in his white robe, which he hasn't Mm -hmm. worn since Star Trek IV. He's always worn his black robe. So is that little imagery of look he's wearing his white he's good but he's just kind of chilling in his room and i'm just like but maybe he, i think he's meditating maybe he's wearing his white i'm thinking he's wearing his white maybe to try to get rid of the yeah he, i think he probably has is, is anguished by it yeah and he's trying to reconcile it he knew it had to be done it was the only way he was going to get the information because she would not give right. it up and she doesn't she, and well, she also doesn't she wasn't know going she doesn't to. know the where the peace talks are happening no, right but she knew everything else she knew everybody that was involved and i still haven't figured out how Sulu found out where the peace <laughs> that talks was a bit hand wavy like well just call the excelsior oh he knows why it's like what why yes um uh, i think Look, I I am a strong advocate against uh, rape being used in any kind of storytelling. It's why I don't watch Game of Thrones. Um, I wish there had been more remorse. And it could have been as simple as after Spock says she doesn't know, if he went over and just kind of like leaned on the the railing. Like, it's like, man, Mm -hmm. I cannot believe I just did that. Like, yeah. It doesn't make it okay, but it makes me not as icky towards Spock. It reminds me of the thing that kept coming up in a sort of post-9-11 world, the, the, the torture with the ticking bomb, right? Yep. You know, the, every other week on 24, right, somebody's going to get tortured because there's going to be a ticking bomb that, you know, you ha- it torture's wrong, but to save the people with this ticking bomb. And the problem being with that is that torture doesn't work, right? If people will say whatever they need to say to make the torture stop, it is not a reliable way of getting information. Of course, a mind meld is. So this is where a metaphor can fall apart when you give it, you know, it doesn't really work. Yeah, it's, it's a, I, I don't, it's one of those situations where like, well, it's what he had to do, right? It's where, but, you know, of course, that solution that has to happen is because problems were written that made it had to happen. You could write another way around it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, two things. We never find out how Valeris is after this. She literally has no more. Yeah. She has no, no more, more lines, lines, no more scenes. She's done. And I'm just like, is she? No, she's, she's shown. She's, she's in stra- the brig. Oh, she's right. No, right, she's right, right. stra- they, they beam her down to Kittimer to say, we have a full confession. and just I'm not going to explain how. I'm just going to show you this person. we have this potted plant that told us everything. <laughs> and two, again, if this had been Savick, 
it would have hit harder. Yeah, it would have been really tough. Because of everything that happens in three with her performing Ponfar with him to to help him. Like, if he had to do this, I I don't know. I, w- I still wouldn't like it, but I, I would have... <sighs> I don't know. I don't. I'm not saying I would have wanted that, but it would have. The scene would have hit in a different way. How does? I mean, mom, what do you think of it? How does it strike you? The mind melt. Yeah. Well, until you brought up the, I'm just sitting here thinking that until you brought up the word rape, I never looked at it that way. I'm thinking the difference between my generation right. and your generation. And it, 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 hmm. I mean, it, did you? Did I, you now you, that now that I hear what you have to say about it, then yes, I can agree that that's what it was like. But again, I say there was no other way he could have done it because you said you know there had to be a way to write around it, and I said how? I was going to say to you how? Tell me how you would write it. Well, you don't write yourself into that situation where only this person knows, right? You write yourself into a place where you can find out who the other conspirators by by searching Reading her searching her laws. <laughs> or the mind meld can happen. Yeah. It just you, doesn't have yeah. to be played up as being rape. Well, I mean, but it must have seemed like it must have played as torture though to you, right? I mean, it's clear the the non-consensual in violation nature, you know, might not have been as strong, but it looks, it's filmed and like a torture scene. Yeah, it is. She's clearly in it's pain. It's probably and, been, you know. What really got, got me is when she started to back away from him. That's where it he felt. grabbed her behind the neck. That's when I thought, oh, that doesn't seem and right. everybody is watching. It's, it, I mean, I, oh, yeah. I suspect every extra they had on yeah. set. Just standing and silently watching. It's an incredibly powerful and well-made from a technical standpoint sure. scene. It just just feel it's it feels like a bridge too far for track for me. For Especially since it shows you know? Uhura's reaction to it and everybody being like yeah. like nobody Nobody is. If that's thankfully, nobody is comfortable with it. But everyone seems incredibly uncomfortable with what they are watching. If that's a scene, but on this has never the, been discussed that I know of what? in in podcast. Has it ever been written about? Oh, this scene being going for rape. Being, sure. Yes. Yeah. That sure. any of the actors make statements about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, if this scene was on, if this scene was in uh, the Battlestar Galactica reboot or The Expanse or <laughs> Game of Thrones, yeah, it would it would seem totally. I would believe that these characters, you know, it didn't it wouldn't stretch the world and the characters as much as it does in this. But other people's mileage may vary. They may find that, that you find the characters when they act out of character. Over at the Never Heard of It podcast, we've spent the last four years criticizing people's films and talking about how they could have made them better. Well, you know what? Now it's time to put your money where our mouth is. That's right. The Never Heard of It podcast and Night Shift Radio are making a movie. We are making a brand new sci-fi thriller called Somnium. Somnium is the tale of a brand new app, something kind of like TikTok, where people are able to watch others' dreams, everyone's dreams, anonymously across the world. However, our main character, Adam, starts to see dreams that look all too familiar, including dreams of somebody murdering him. So the question is... Who is dreaming of murdering Adam? That's the question we look to answer in our brand new film, Somnium. But we need your help. We need your help in funding so we can pay the amazing crew and the amazing cast of this brand new film. Head to nightshiftradio.com Somnium. Donate what you can. And if you can't, share with 100,000 of your closest friends. Someone out there is going to be a rich weirdo that's going to want to fund this film. So again, nightshiftradio.com Somnium. Thank you so much, guys. We look forward to making this movie just for you. 
Hi, podcast listeners. This is Caleb from Night Shift Radio. If you love spooky stories as much as I do, but maybe aren't entirely sure that you believe in the paranormal, then you'll enjoy the newest Night Shift Radio original, Possibly Normal. Twice a month, we tell a true story of possible paranormal encounters from the perspective of the person who witnessed the events. In these stories, we offer no attempted explanation, only the truth as it was observed. So join me as Night Shift Radio presents Possibly Normal, starting January 2022, wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, you saying acting out of character, these are the two times we see Spock's emotions get the best of him. This scene and the scene before where he's like, where she's got the phaser and he turns on the light like, you must shoot. And he's like, yeah, I, you know, she said something about logic and he smacks the phaser right over her hand. I was like, yeah. holy shit, Spock's mm-hmm. pissed right now. I know. Yeah, 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 that that's very, very, and then wasn't that when Kirk? Right. Like, and I, I love the the the, uh, the the uber dramatic of the the top three in this movie turning the light on, and then Kirk turns on, and then Bones like the operation is over. All right, guys, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, the you must shoot then the gun on it was that's Nimoy mm-hmm. suggested that in the scripting and the drafting was that Nimoy said you know I want a scene where where somebody is basically has to choose whether or not to shoot Spock you know it's a good scene but it was a very yeah. Spock line I mean he, he logically yes yeah. she must shoot yeah so it, it you know it wasn't I don't think it was a waste I like moment. that moment mm-hmm. a lot more than the bridge moment and and this it it it's such an easy fix to not make it, you can make it uncomfortable for her and painful and not make it feel like rape slash torture. Mm-hmm. There's a way to shoot this scene with, yeah. to make they, it, you you know, you were saying write it a different way. If you needed this moment to still happen in your movie, there's a way to shoot this that's still uncomfortable that doesn't make people go, mm, that was torture. And now in a 2021 lens go, mm, that was rape. There's there's a way around it so simply. There is one moment that I I like, which is we have this uh, a lie this this thread that runs through right. for Valeris a lie and, and omission. Spock. Yeah, okay. uh, the uh, uh, a lie, an omission, a lie, an error, and then a lie. The uh, Valeris a choice. Her a choice is so like up yours, Spock. <laughs> <laughs> She she's very she's really good. good. In this. Yeah, I I yeah. I think we all when we think of Kim Cattrall, we think of her over the top Samantha character. But Kim Cattrall's a pretty good actor. Yeah, she yeah, she's she works in this. Yeah. Um. Okay, let's uh, let's wrap up the assassination attempt. Go ahead, mom. Okay. The hold on. The torpedoes that struck Gorgon's cruiser came from Chang's ship which has the unique ability to fire its weapons while cloaked. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the yes. plot demands Yeah, it's it. never addressed. They wisely say, how many are there? Only the prototype, which I think is enough of a hand wave to be like, we don't ever have to give this power to another ship. <laughs> well, doesn't it get destroyed? Yeah, but it does. blueprints written on paper. I mean, theoretically, clearly. you would have schematics <laughs> and you could rebuild the prototype, but, you know, uh, the schematics, you know where the schematics were? Oh, I left the schematics in my desk drawer on Praxis. <laughs> Enterprise and Excelsior race to Ketamir, the location of the peace talks. Chang's cloak ship attacks and inflicts heavy damage on both ships. 
At the suggestion of Uhura, Spock and McCoy modify a torpedo to hone in on its exhaust emissions from Chang's ship. The torpedo impact reveals Chang's location, and Enterprise and Excelsior destroy the ship with a volley of torpedoes. The crew from both ships beam to the conference and thwart an attempt on the Federation president's life. We all understand Kittimer, right? Where that's significant to uh, Lieutenant Commander Worf's life. So eventually there will be a massacre there by the Romulans of a Klingon outpost. That is, I think... I believe yeah. it's supposed to be that same that, spot. Like it's the same. It is. It's the same spot, and that's and that that's where Worf's parents are killed, and and he's taken in by humans. I think the idea is that Kittimer, can you know, continues to be like a maybe more, a more successful version of Nimbus Three, a place where <laughs> Klingons and humans and Federation live together. You know. Yeah. Well, you know what Nimbus Three didn't have color guard sashes. I mean. <laughs> What the hell? Klingons were in, oh, Klingons I, were in red. Romulans were in green. Uh, racist. Uh, and the <laughs> Terrans were in blue. It's like, really? Going to make the yeah, Romulans green? Their blood color? Come on. Well, and their ships. Uh, that's true, too. Um, was the, the ending and the taking of the mask off the guy that was doing the shooting, was that a new scene? Yeah, he, Human blood, yeah. Part of it was. Uh, Colonel Worf yeah, realizing and, and, and that taking it's the ma- uh, human West blood. is not unmasked as the uh, shooter yeah. in in the original. Okay, version, that only was in the, the director's cut. Yeah, because that's what I that's what I thought. Both co- oh, both right, cuts in the do have the incredibly strong homage to the end of the Manchurian Candidate. Right? I mean, it's uh, the same sniper sh- set up from the end of the Manchurian Candidate. <laughs> So what yep. do we make of, of – so in a film that – in Wrath of Khan, Kirk is worried about getting old. In this movie, he is old. The first time that uh-huh. the hair which is on William Shatner's head – I'll just put it that way. <laughs> uh, I won't say Shatner's hair, but the, sh- the hair which is on William Shatner's head goes gray. And some of it is added. Like his white temples, now that we're seeing this in high def, I'm like, oh, that's makeup. That is not Shatner's actual – Temples being white, and and so he's old, and and they make the everybody looks old. Yeah, even Spock, you can tell that they, they right, they, uh-huh. yeah, they do. They look so much older. And then he jumps like twenty feet to tackle the president, <laughs> right? It's just <laughs> and so, it's, a, it's a with really no problem over the top action movie tackle. But it's adrenaline. It's adrenaline. I guess it must be yes. adrenaline. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was. It was weird. Your mom. I'll ask you because I know Colin does. Do you, Do you recognize Colonel West, the guy with the Klingon mask? No, the actor. No. It's Rene Azurbrana. It is Odo. <gasps> that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Which furthers never trust a changeling. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. There's and then the movie ends with the with this with Oh, oh wait, wait a minute. Go. I've got I've got one more paragraph. Okay. Well, I was going to talk go about ahead. the the, the scene okay. with, before that. I mean, but the the main plot of the film ends with them all getting applauded and basically po- Oh, that was so cheesy. <laughs> you know, it is them all being applauded and being and and it, but it it's so the fourth wall is 
kind of gone there, right? It's the it's it, yeah, everybody is they, applauding these seven actors and and they're saying goodbye to these roles. And I remember being very moved by it in '91, knowing that this was the last outing for this crew, and you know, right. Well, maybe that's I've got to figure out where it is. I'll have to look it up. But there's there's one the scene where Kirk comes into Spock's uh, quarters and he's in the white robe. Mm-hmm. And Spock asks him, Is it possible that we two, you and I, have grown so old and so inflexible that we have outlived our usefulness? I was wondering if that was a wink to TNG. I mean, the... No, it, it was... It, one of the reviews I read said it was... Was it Spock t- talking to Kirk or was it Leonard talking yeah. to Shatner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I love that scene. That's a great scene. Um, they they are yeah. They're reckoning with uh, you know getting old and history moving past them. And I, I love the part where Kirk says, "You're a great one for logic. I'm a great one for rushing in where angels fear to tread. We're both extremists. Reality is probably somewhere in between." Uh, that's what I was going to say at the uh, at the peace talks. So they saved the president. And Kirk saves everybody with a speech. That that was a bit schmaltzy for oh, me. Oh yeah, but we get we get some more quoting in it. We, we we get undiscovered country again, and then he references Francis Fukuyama's "The End of History," which is a book that was written about this time. With the idea being that this was it, folks. This is the end of history. Liberal democracy has triumphed over totalitarian socialism, and and this is it. There's really like. We're just going to have nothing but liberal democracy from here on out. And there will be no other problems. Oh, hey, look, here's the 21st century to completely disprove your thesis, Dr. Fukuyama. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It, but I remember, I remember that book and just, and that they're referencing it. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a, a, you know, very popular theory at the time and didn't go, didn't go very well. I think it's about time we got underway ourselves. Captain. I have orders from Starfleet Command. Starfleet Command orders Enterprise to return to Earth by Starfleet Command to be... Di- that doesn't make sense. Say it again. Starf- Starfleet Command orders Enterprise to return to Earth... You're right. ...by Starfleet Command. This is what happens... To be dick de- de- To be decommissioned. When? I think, I think for, for the rest of the series, we might move to Memory Alpha... Which is Star Trek nerds writing the Wikipedia pages? Well, this pages. is just the fact that Wikipedia <laughs> is group edited, so somebody screwed up. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, yep. Kirk decides to take his ship on one last cruise and notes in his log... This is the final cruise of the Starship Enterprise under my command. This ship and her history will shortly become the care of another crew. To them and their posterity will we commit our future. They will continue the voyages we have begun and journey to all the undiscovered countries, boldly going where no man, where no one, has gone before. And quoting Peter Pinion. Second star to the right. And straight on till morning. He quotes Peter Pan, but he he says in his closing log, this ship will live on and truly go where no man, where no one, has mm-hmm. gone before. I'm like, mm-hmm. so Kirk's the one who changed it to no one? No. That's... Uh, we also get a great joke that will be played again in Insurrection. If I were human, 
I believe my response would be, go to hell. If I were human. So where okay, do we rate ahead. whimsical end of the movie Kirk orders? We've got we've got out there that away. Let's see what she's got. And second start of the right straight on till morning. I think it's second start of the right straight on till morning works best. Out there that away, yep. and then let's see what she's got is. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I also wanted when he said second start of the right straight on till morning after uh, Chekhov says uh, heading, sir. I wanted him to turn back around and be like, Captain, not this crap again. You have to give me coordinates. You can't just say that away. I, we're going to die if I just go second start of the right straight on till morning. <laughs> But uh, it was a good. It was oh, a yeah. good ending. It's a good ending. I liked to add them uh, having all their signatures, like they're signing their final log. Yeah. That was very yeah, that cool. Was cool. For some reason, I always thought that was in five. No, no, it's this. No, notice there's nobody else on the bridge in that last scene. Yep. <laughs> Suddenly the bridge is everyone but it, it's Sulu. just making room for. And we get you know we get the the last Sulu sign off. But yeah, it's just making room for for that moment with the, this cast, you know, which was which was huge for this fandom, you know, to be like saying goodbye. Sure. You know, we're never, because we, we, what we had, and it's 91, so we've had four or five years or so of two Star Treks, exi- two crews existing, you know, in, in, in tandem, yeah. but this is it. You know, that these, these seven are never going to be together. What was Next Generation the next Yeah, thing but it, it was... Next Generation is going on while this movie came out. So Next Generation premiered in they 87. Were, so this is uh, this is four years into it. It's pretty wild. I can see where all the fans would have been. And I'm sure that the the real heavy fans of these mm-hmm. these movies were also into Next Generation. Some. I don't think people... So for the longest time, it, I always thought the term Trekkie and Trekker meant whether you liked... TOS or next gen, but apparently now it is. If you are a Trek E, you think that Starfleet is a real thing, and that it's coming. And first contact day is I've happening. Never heard this. Yeah, is, I, is it like QAnon for Trek? Well, the, <laughs> the thing was, I was looking up because I was going to say we're we're going from being Trekkies to Trekkers because we're moving to next gen movies. But then I read that I'm like, oh. Oh God, no! Uh, my, <laughs> I know this is real. My memory <laughs> of of learning about that as I became part of the fandom was that Trekkie had been a sort of derogatory term, and then there was an attempt to sort of take it on, and then people were like, tried to use Trekker to be like, no, I mean, it's, it's not to like avoid this this more derogatory term that had been, you know, sure. all, all of which is like a seems like such an archaic remnant of a time. When, you know, billion-dollar franchise versions of the geekiest stuff you can possibly imagine wasn't almost all of mainstream culture. <laughs> yeah, it's just such a such a different Gosh. world it was where somebody would actually be ashamed of their fandom. Though I I do I do remember before I got into Doctor Who having a roommate who was really into Doctor Who, and this was before the rebate reboot. Um, 
with uh, Christopher Eccleston. It's like Tom Baker yeah, stuff? Yeah, and he had VHSs, the old ones. I was like, wow. And he's like, it's great. You'd love it. But, I mean, to be fair, we're the people the Trekkies make fun of. It's well, true. It's well, true. then, now it's, a huge, never, now it's a huge million-dollar franchise. But. And good for everyone who likes Doctor Who. I just, I never got into well, it. you haven't seen any of New Who, have you? I've seen scenes. And I'm oh, like, no. Yeah, you gotta, it's you, not for me. You got to see a whole episode. All right. How much is Karen Gillum in? That's all I really like. Three seasons? Four seasons? Oh, you might have piqued my interest. You can start with her episode. It's a good (laughs) jumping on point. It's also Matt Smith's first episode. I do like Matt Smith. I love Matt Smith. See? But then I miss uh, David Tennant. Completely. You haven't watched any Doctor Who, have you, Mom? No. I was going to say Matt Smith is the guy from... House of the Dragon, oh. yes. He's from House of the Dragon, coming to HBO yeah, no, no, in 2022. No, no, I, well, I wasn't thinking. I, oh, that's right. He I is in that. He is one. in House of the Dragon. You're, yes, he was also in, the, in, in I was to say, The Wire. He was in The Crown. <laughs> the Crown, The Wire. He was also in Downton Abbey. No, I was, wasn't don't he? believe Matt Smith's on Downton Abbey. You but are I, thinking of Matt. Mm-hmm. He played the guy who married... The daughter, the one that died in the car right? accident. Yeah. No, that that's yeah. um, Matt. Matt said uh, that's Matt Stevens. No, it, oh, it's yeah. not. It's not You're Matt. Right. It's sorry, Dan Stevens. Dan yeah. Stevens. Sorry, yeah, yeah. No, Bruce Wayne. I, look, no, yeah. no. I knew it began with a P. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, so we got questions as we always do. Um, I'll start with: Is this a good movie? No shocker uh, here. Yes, this is a good oh, it's, movie. It's a very, it's a very good movie. It's my second favorite. What? We're not there yet. Is it good Star Trek? Yes, but for the making racism towards Klingons, I'm, I can only give that a maybe. I really am just so torn on. I think on some level, for me, Meyer, as much as I, I love both of his films as films. He has overstepped his outsider in the Trek pool status here a little bit. He okay. He he. Too Starfleet is too militarized and too em, too much emphasize on it. You know, no, yeah. Uh, the, the, when people bring up exploration, it's it's as an afterthought, and it really you know, and um and and the yeah the 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 sort of the racism and and the the assault just it's Oof. too it's it's it tilts that showing us who we are as opposed to who we can be dichotomy a little too far for me to make it really great track. Okay. How about you, mom? For that point in society, which has changed drastically since this was filmed, I don't think anyone looked at it as racist. Oh no. The characters are supposed to be racist. Oh yeah. No, no. Cartwright's supposed to be straight up racist. The film is portraying them as having racist attitudes. Don't you think? Again, different generations. That's I just I didn't think of it I, because we've discovered all these other worlds. I don't look at it as being racist. They just don't like them. They, they're not. I, it's it's tough for me to explain. Well, to me, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. no this is good. Uh, the why do they hate them? Do they hate them because of the way they look? which to me is racist, or do they hate them because of their political well, but and how they and how they are as a society? See, but political wouldn't cover things like 
they only top of the line models can talk and they smell and they, you know, they don't value life the way we do the trash of the galaxy. That's all. But you're, you're right, mom. This is always an uncomfortable thing, right? In, in science fiction where in some ways racism is treating people who are a member of, of the human species as if they are a different species. Yeah. You know, not, not all people get into that sort of, wackadoo 19th century scientific racism but that at a heart there is a there is a you know when we are all actually the same thing really and and all those differences are incredibly superficial literally but when you have a metaphor in which there actually are these other species does the metaphor fall apart if you stop and think about it in a real way do you start or, or does the metaphor become a problem because the people who you are putting in the place of the oppressed are being equated with other species, which is exactly what racists do here. It's, 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 it's a bit of a sticky situation you can get into there. But for me, the thing is that like it's racialized prejudice where it should be political. Like you were saying, it's people didn't talk about Russians, not um, being able to talk. You know, or not being smart. If anything, we were worried they were too smart, you know? Yep. Agreed. Yeah, true. <sighs> Sorry, I'm moving on to the next question. Uh, I, I, I agree That's with my what you're saying. Would you recommend this as someone's intro to Trek? No. Yeah. No, it's too it's much backstory clogged too into much this. Backstory, yeah. Yeah. I this mean, is yeah. really where it becomes a serialized type thing. I was trying to convince Elizabeth to watch it with me just because I think the film is so good that you would enjoy it, but it's not going to hook anybody into track. You'll be like, Hey, that was a good film. That was a really good film. And you know, but you just, Mm -hmm. if you don't know who the Klingons are and you don't know the backstory and you don't know, you know, yeah. Yeah. You would have to have. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. All right. Colin, go ahead and give us a Kirk drift status update. I think this film is a major Kirk drift moment. I think uh-huh. I think the way that Bones reacts to him kissing Martia, like, oh, it's part of of selling this idea of Kirk, the Kirk, the space Lothario, which actually doesn't isn't there as much in in the original series as people remember it being. And sure. I think, <clears throat> and Chang's speech in the trial, where he describes him as being a habitually subordinate, and you know. Insubordinate. Insub- uh, right. Excuse me. Insubordinate and habitually rule breaking. And, you yep. know, that isn't necessarily the Kirk we we actually have known. And again, like these, f- we have the, the Genesis trilogy, right? Two, three, four, where you, you see Kirk pushed to his limit by the death of his friend, threatening to throw away his career. But that should seem like an aberration in his life. In fact, somebody call, calls it out as such in three, and yet here it's being presented as if that's that's a Tuesday for him is to you know right. steal a starship and so <laughs> right and uh, so I think I think that there's a lot of Kirk drift here. I 100 percent agree. This is this is really the point where he's James Tiberius. Kirk. Also, this is the first time in live action that his his name was ever spoke. His middle name was ever confirmed. In fact, in you'll know the episode in TOS where he sees his headstone. 
Oh, it's not. Yeah, I don't remember what it is, but it's not Tiberius. No, it's 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 like Paul or something bizarre. <laughs> no, like it's T. It's a T, but it's not. It's not a T. It's oh, not really? even a T. Oh, it's wow. something weird like Genevieve. <laughs> it's well, that that would be odd. <laughs> it's so out there. It's the episode with the guy with the silver eyes. Oh, oh, so it's it's where no one has gone before. So okay. that uh, yeah. It, oh, it's it's R. It's given. It's an R. Yes, R, I remember see? this now. It's an R. Because um, he's a pirate. Yeah. It, R. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Um, no, no, it's you. Oh, it's Best me. Moment. Oh, me? Best oh. moment. Boof. Yeah. There's a lot to choose from. Yeah. There's a lot of great parts of this film. I like the one with Kirk and Spock in, um, in his quarters. Where oh, he yeah. Says to him, you know. Yeah, that's is a great it us scene. Or is it, it's especially a good scene considering that this is supposed to be their last movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the one I liked. I'm I'm gonna say it's the um, the dinner scene. Oh yeah, yeah. There's the some really top notch acting happening from everybody at that table. Even the guy that's shoving the not gawk, but let's just say it's <laughs> gawk into his face. It's what, so good. It's what's the what's, look up that he does? Like, oh, is this isn't that how we eat this here? Uh, okay. What's like Tofurky but forgot? Veggie gok. Tagok. But you know is. what that was? I I remember reading someplace that what he was shoving was squid. Oh really? I would have thought it was blue. seaweed. Blah. Well, seaweed would just be a lot easier to keep. Uh, oh no! I'm Damn. still reacting to the squid. <laughs> no, to keep to keep ed- to keep edible under hot lights for probably a, fu- a full day or two of shooting, you know. Oh, but God, that poor guy. Um, How about you, Colin? Just to say something different, because uh, I agree, those are both fantastic scenes. There are a lot of fantastic scenes in this movie. Like it, for all, I was just you know kind of saying there are elements that don't work as Trek. I think it's an incredibly well-made film. Uh, it works sure. really well as a film. I, I'm going to say the trial scene. I love the trial oh, scene. Oh, yeah, it's a, sure. It's, just, it's one of those things where you just, you said uh, it, it's dark to hide. They couldn't afford to put everybody in Klingon makeup and eventually <laughs> turn it into toys. But it's one of those things that makes sense to me, but, I, but it's always just stood out as such a gorgeously set-designed and well-acted scene. Yeah. Moment you'd cut. Nothing. I love them all. I wouldn't cut. I don't have any. I wouldn't cut Valer- the Valera scene. I, I already told you I would fine-tune that. Honestly, of all the stuff that's said in this movie that rubs me the wrong way, it's Scotty calling uh, What's-Her-Face a bitch. I'm just like, I, my note was Klingon bitch. Yeesh, Scotty. If you're going to write the characters as racist, it's unfortunate that you also wrote one as sexist. Yeah, he could have just you been know, like, but, but his, but his as, daughter... Ta-da. <laughs> it, but as mom would say, like, I, I think we in 91, people would use that word as the female equivalent of of, what, of calling a man an asshole. And yeah, that's true. And it's, and it's not, you know, it carries. And but we but society had not embraced that truth. Uh, and now, of course, I think, you know, people will feel I mean, there have been times that I've caught myself wanting, you know, having grown up in that time, calling myself wanting to say that and just gone ahead and called a woman an asshole instead. Not to her face. <laughs> Not to her face. Refer well, to there, a woman. Is there a, is there a Klingon word for bitch? Mm. I'm sure there is. Though the chances of, of well, Klingon 
also having the extremely strange <laughs> circuitous route for which a totally non-offensive word for a female canine became a very powerful slur against women. Yeah. Yeah. I guess what's the word for a female targ? I guess that's what it would be. That's what it would be. (laughs) Yeah. But it wouldn't have the same. When they're having the dinner scene, Uh universal translators are there, right? Sure. Yes. Then why in the trial scene, do they have to hold those coconuts up to their ears for translation? Don't forget, when they get to Ruripente, he says, you have to forgive me. They took away my universal translator. Yeah, but not before the trial. They sure they did. Have, That's why they're holding the me. things up. They took they took his insignia off. They took everything that they, that they would have. Except, except, except for the, the Viridian patch. <laughs> now, yeah. <laughs> but in theory, at, at the dinner table, they are not speaking through the universal translator, right? Because, oh, and this is always the issue, right? So if they're speaking to Klingon and being translated by the universal translator, then how do they then quote Shakespeare in Klingon? In Klingon? I still go back to the, the-, the pet theory I developed when we watched Star Trek Three, which is that upper, upper class and, uh, and high-ranking Klingons speak English or speak standard, whatever, whatever we're calling, you know, the language that the Federation Terran. speaks. Terran. Well, no, I mean, but it's not, it, but I, whatever they're supposed to be speaking, um, they, that, that, that they speak that amongst themselves in much the same way uh-huh. that uh, pre-revolutionary Russian officers would speak French amongst themselves. Sure. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. And then Russian well, to the men. Yeah. Admiral status actor. I mean, this one's really clear for me, but I'm interested to hear what you guys think. So you go first. Go ahead. Oh, it's Plummer. Christopher Plummer. The man's having the time of his life. You want to know where those sets that disappeared went? Christopher Plummer ate them. (laughs) That's true. He is devouring (laughs) the scenery beautifully. 11 Mm -hmm. Shakespeare quotes, and not one of them feels weird or out of place. He's just he's just a maniacal. Yeah, but that's the writing. Got- that's not him. No, that's Christopher Plummer. A lesser actor would he's seem like. He's the one that put would, those in. No, no. Oh, I see what you're saying. A lesser actor yeah. wouldn't would not be able to sell a bald dude with a piece of metal bolted to his face, <laughs> spouting <laughs> off bits of the Tempest and three quotes from Henry V and a little Julius Caesar and you know just yeah. But what about John Chuck? Oh, well, you want to give he's it to so Chuck? John Chuck. He's, no. I just, I, he's just to me, he's just, I just love him. No matter what he does, yeah. I love him. And he just plays that part very well, I feel. For, for me, it's it's Plummer also. Yeah. Um, and I, I forgot to mention, I'm, John Chuck was in this scene. I liked when they're all applauding them back in the Kittimer uh, Accords. Oh. <laughs> yes. John Chuck's like, fine. Chuck is- I the Klingon ambassadors will. clapping is so funny. <laughs> yes, yes, it's oh, yeah. it's borderline sarcastic. It's, <laughs> it's like, yeah. absolutely yeah. beautiful moment. I believe John Shuck's um, subtext is uh, good for you, uh, but uh, the and the like aliens the that are in the were... front that almost look like packleds, but mm. like the smarter version of packleds. I like that finally. And this is continued in Deep Space Nine. They go, hey, maybe not everybody, A, applauds, so it's going to be weird for some of them. But B, maybe not everybody does this. The the people in the front do this, yeah. like seals. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know if you've gotten to it yet, but Bajoran's mom applauded hand over hand instead of yeah. palm to palm. Well, the people that were sitting 
next to the ambassador, played by Chuck, uh-huh. are they're, they're clapping at like 78 RPM. You're right. Uh, well, it, it, it's also because Chuck this is, is a doing great contract. such a slow clap. It's hilarious. Yeah, he's at 33 and a third, definitely. Yes. Recommended episode pairings for me is uh, Chain, of, Chain of Command? No. Yes. Chain of Command Chain is of where command. There, there are four lights. Just so that you get the David Warner trifecta. Chain of Command. A, t- a two-parter. Yeah, but it's well worth it. You also get... Um, Ronnie uh, Cox. Ronnie Cox, thank you. I couldn't think of his yeah. first name. Yeah, Ronnie As, Cox is great. It's a, those are really good episodes. Wonderful Jellico. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, yeah, that that would be the perfect pairing to go with, with this movie. Yeah, I was thinking something similar, though it would be interesting to, to watch this with uh, Day of the Dove, which is the first time that the Klingons are encountered, if I recall correctly, and also the first time that... You know, the idea of peace with them is broached. But another good one that actually is an intended pairing on the parts of the producers is Unification Part 1 and 2, which aired right before this and ties in uh, to it. You, the, you learn that, that it was at the Kittimer conference that Spock met the Romulan senator with, with, with whom he has kept in touch and tried to initiate this unification. Oh, that's right. That does happen in that, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah, it, it was a, a okay. deliberate tie. It was a deliberate tie-in as part of the 25th anniversary, which was all happening during this. So I have no comment because I'm not enough of a nerd. <laughs> but I want know. see. Here's what I want, Mom. I want you to go back and try some of these pairings, and then let us know if they work. Ooh, yeah. Oh, or just please. keep or or just keep Yankees watching Deep Space watch. Nine. There's baseball on Deep Space Nine. There's baseball on Deep Space Nine. There's racism on Deep Space Nine. But there's no Yankees. There's no Yankees. I don't know if you've gone to it yet, but Miles right. O'Brien is a straight-up racist to Cardassians. He does not like them. He, right. And then that is dealt with and called out and, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's used for less of an obvious plot thing. And the thing is, it's left over from TNG. TNG is where you learn that he does not like Cardassians because he was a soldier. Right. And fought against the... Cardies, as he likes to call them, and the wonderful. Um, oh shoot, I just forgot the actor's name who plays O'Brien. Cole Meany. Cole Meany sell like Cole Meany. Yeah, I put it in air quotes because how he sells the word Cardi, I'm like it. Do oh, it feels racist to say it like that? He's so good. Okay, so as I said at the beginning, why don't we rank these six movies? Oh gosh, and then we'll okay. build from there when we do the next four. Okay. Who's going first? Well, I'll go first. Okay, go ahead. We all know what my number one is. Number one, the There'd motion picture, whales. your absolute favorite. No. Oh, God. No, How dare no. you? The Whales. Okay. The so that's Star Trek this Four. This is my number two. This is my two. Okay. My next one would be Wrath of mm-hmm. Khan. There's six movies? Yeah, there are. Mm-hmm. I really don't have any feelings one way or the other about any of the other ones. <laughs> well, wait, wait, I, wait, know, wait. The, you the, only have the, two yeah. left. You only have two left. So which, well, did you, which would you rather watch again? Search for Spock. Because yeah, we're all we all know that motion pictures at the bottom of. <laughs> oh, sorry, you list. have three left. That's right. Oh, yeah, I was, I was it's say, not at the bottom a, of my well, list. <gasps> how dare you? Um, yes, how dare you? I, you know, both of them are equally interesting to me in different ways. I guess probably search for Spock because I like that they. <laughs> That they take a Klingon ship from Vulcan to go back. 
I mean, it's well, just, I, I don't well, know. Well, that's, the two that's, of them that's four, but yeah. Okay. And um, if, yeah, one is my least favorite. I just thought it was terrible. I just did. I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead, Con. Wrath of Con is number one for me. Yep. Mm. Voyage Home, Undiscovered Country. Okay. Search for Spock. Holy shit. The Motion Picture and Final Frontier. So mine's the exact same order except the last ones. Two, four, six, three, one, five. And mine is two, four, six, three, five, one. Oh, I would watch. See, at five least- gets a higher rating because of Lawrence Luck and Bill. Lawrence Luck and Bill has now saved that movie for me from being the worst Star Trek movie ever made. Yeah, for, see, for me, one gets a higher rating because of Doug Trumbull. Like, I, uh, I, sure, this, sure. The, the, the spaceship porn is worth it. You know, it's just like, So you're going to be watching it in 4K when it comes out? Definitely going to be watching it in 4K. <laughs> have fun with that. I'm probably never watching that again. You just have on, to be in the mood on your 75 inch TV. with it. Yeah, exactly. You just got to be like, you got to be in the mood for a mo- movie that is just, it's not going to rush you. So are we talking Jazz Cabbage and, uh, <laughs> no. and 4K? <laughs> jazz Cabbage. <laughs> No. Oh, boy. That's probably the only way I would I just ever watch that movie. <laughs> I just don't get these inside jokes between my two sons. Jazz cabbage honestly. is marijuana. <laughs> oh. There we go. <laughs> okay. The devil's cilantro. Yeah. We, I, I got a bunch of them. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Um, okay. Okay. So that ends... The original series God, movies. Just, it feels like we're done. Can, <laughs> can, yet, can we be done? No. no, we cannot. I signed a contract. <laughs> oh, we have to keep going. Okay, but when <laughs> you signed a contract, fully kidding. Oh gosh, no, uh, there's no contract. But we we <laughs> oh, set out to do thirteen. We're gonna do our thirteen. Um, there's at least know, one good movie. How dare you? There's at least three good movies ahead of us. Yeah, but how many of them are happening in the same movie? Next, uh, next we have we have two half movies that don't make a whole movie. Wow, we'll save that for next time. Yeah, holy crap, that's a bold statement for for first contact. I'll, no, I'll no, give you next, gener- next we have oh, the next movie you, is two half movies two. that don't make a full movie. Well, they had to reshoot most of. <laughs> We're gonna get into this. Oh god, oh, boy, that's a rough story. How much of generations <sighs> do you remember, Mom? How much of any of the the uh, of the the next None movies do you remember? You probably haven't seen is these the, nearly as much, right? Is the is this the one? This does not have the whales. Where Kurt, where, what? No, I know. Darn it! Is this the one where Kirk comes back or he meets yeah. up with and? And he dies. Spoilers. Yeah. Well, we can edit yes. that out, you know. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm get, listen, if you're listening to the Star Trek podcast, you um, know that. <laughs> there's at least two movies coming up here that I have only seen. I'm going to guess they're the latter two of the next gen. There's three movies. There's three movies I've only seen once. Generations? No, I've seen Generations a bunch. First Contact? I've seen First Contact a bunch. Oh, you're talking past TNG. Okay. Past TNG. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Gotcha. In the rest of the thing, I've I've only ever seen I've only seen insur- I saw Insurrection in the theaters. Yeah. And never saw it again. <sighs> I saw Nemesis on home video and never saw it again. I've never, I've only seen Beyond once. For some reason I've seen Into Darkness twice and I don't know why. Uh mom, I'm, you and I saw uh Nemesis together. I remember walking out of the Shopping Town Mall theaters being like 
well, that was a thing we just experienced. <laughs> I, I have a feeling that's why I may not have seen it in the theaters is that you guys may have said, don't, don't do it. Yeah. Spoilers. We're going to trash that movie and, and, it's, and I'm going to put it all, all on the director who was a ginormous dill hole <gasps> about everything that goes along with that movie. It's, mm. I, I will save it for Nemesis, but Stuart Bard, you know what you did, and you know you did like wrong. Like, he's really going to be listening to this podcast. He doesn't care. He doesn't even make movies anymore. That's how bad he is. Oh, okay. Okay, so done with TOS. We're moving on to TNG. We're doing Star Trek. Well, we have the airlock. We have the airlock of generations. That's what I was going to say. It's one foot in both worlds. It, it starts with uh, the Enterprise B, and we move into the future, question mark. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But um, that'll All be next right. next month. So uh, thank you very much for listening and downloading this episode. Please like and subscribe if you like what you're hearing. And you can also, oh, hey, I don't know, go to iTunes, give us a, a groovy review. We would really appreciate that. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Uh, but sure tell sure. it to them in Klingon because it's loud and scary. And wear your, wear, your, wear your hoodies in the winter so people ask you, what is that? I don't know if we're getting. I don't know if we're getting uh, merch for this uh, limited series. I don't know if Night Shift Radio is going to want to. There will be merch. <laughs> oh. oh, so Colin, where can people find you or send you messages on Subspace if they wish to? I can be found on Twitter at Roll of Colin Ryan. Yes, and I can be found on the Space Twitter at Not Ryan Casey, and you can also. Uh, at the podcast itself at Where No Mom Pod, and that's the only way to get in touch with us because the admiral uh, has gone dark with her social media. I don't trust it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, quite you're quite right. You're quite yes. right not to. <laughs> if it was not for having two podcasts, I would not be on social media as much as I am. So once again, thank you for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next month for Star Trek Generations. We have been and ever shall be your podcast. Oh,